Patricia, my darling Patricia. I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Well, everybody, it's a Saturday night, January the 23rd, year 2016. I'm Wong Hughes over here in Costa Mesa, California. And there she is, 3,000 miles away. It's Patricia. Hello, Patricia. How are you? Hello, Walden. And I am not in snow country. Bless our poor listeners who are up in that mess. Absolutely. So, you want to introduce our special guest? I would love to introduce our special guest, and oh my goodness, do we have a special guest tonight. We are going to be talking with Bill Burns, and he spells his name a little bit differently from what we're going to be getting into in a minute. Bill, correct me if I am okay on this. You're a graduate of New York University, PhD in medieval literature. Um, You earned a jurisprudence degree. And you are an author, editor, publisher, broadcast personality, and I told you before we got on the air, I loved Ancient Aliens. Well, Teacher thank you. and lots, lots, lots more, including the yes. law degree. Is, is there something I missed that I should have mentioned? No, no, you, you covered it all. I covered pretty much of it. Well, we're not in, in legal trouble yet, so um, at least not yet, as I say. So we're not asking him here for a courtroom representation. Bill Burns is our guest because he has a connection to someone every single one of us loves. What is that connection, Bill? Well, uh, uh, my godparents uh, were George Burns and Gracie Allen. And I that is just so wonderful, your special connection with George and Gracie. Welcome, Bill Burns. I am just delighted to be able to talk with you tonight. And just as a reminder, your name is Bill Burns, but you spell it differently from George Burns and Gracie Allen's George Burns. That's that's correct. My father changed the spelling right before I was born. He changed it very early in. They did change it. Yes. Originally, he spelled his name B-U-R-N-S. That was was the name they came up with, the two of them. That that wasn't their real name. No, um... I, I can't pronounce it. Uh, George, uh, my, uh, George Burns, first of all, my father and George Burns met, they grew up together on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. They were little kids uh-huh. together, street performers, and their names were Nathan Birnbaum and Abraham Kaplan. That was their name. Mm-hmm. And they would go from uh, bar to bar as soft shoe dancers, street dancers, just like street dancers today. Mm-hmm. But they would do the soft shoe, they would spread straw on the floor, they would sing, they would dance. And then the bartenders would basically throw them out because their names were Birnbaum and Kaplan. So on the, in Manhattan, not just on the Lower East Side, but primarily there, the tenements, the apartment buildings, were all heated with coal. This is before the age of oil deliveries. Mm-hmm. There were coal stoves in the apartments, and people would have to buy their coal from the coal delivery service. And one of the major coal delivery services in Manhattan was a company called the Burns Brothers, B-U-R-N-S. And they would drive their truck from building to building. So these two little kids, Abraham Kaplan, Nathan Birnbaum, would follow the trucks 
because when the trucks pulled away from the coal bins where they were shooting through the oil, the uh, coal, they would always leave a trail of coal nuggets. And the two little boys, along with other kids on the block, I mean, it wasn't just their idea, would take their, would wear their father's overcoats and stuff the adult pockets full of coal nuggets. And that was what they would do. So ultimately, they would run around with their pockets full of coal. The kids on the neighborhood would make fun of them and call them the Burns Brothers. And that was the name they used for their act. Wow. What a great story. I'll be darned. All right, now you're all right. Now we've got George Burns, B U R N S, which uh, we've always tied into um, his his real name, Burnbaum. And you've got B I R N E S. Are those is that name connected with the Burns brothers as they created back in the old old days? Well, no. What my father did was when he became a talent agent and a merchandise agent. In the very late 1930s, he changed the spelling of the name so it wouldn't be confused with George Burns. And he uh-huh. had a talent agency and a merchandising agency in New York on 57th Street called Gluskin and Burns. And that's where he first used the spelling of that name. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, my goodness. Oh and he God. represented a lot of the major stars. Uh, he worked with uh, W.C. Fields, uh, Judy Garland, Fanny Bryce, people like that, major stars. And, of course, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. Oh, really? And Hoppy. Oh, oh gosh. And this, this, is, this is really incredible. Now, you, is it okay to mention your birthday? My birth date? You mean my year? Well, your birth, sure. Your birth year. Okay, so you, you were born in 1944. Right. And all of these people were still around. Tell me how your father's work as a talent agent tied into people you might have known and met. Well, the funny part about it is because he worked, I mean, this is relevant to today. Mm-hmm. The funny part about it is that he worked for Judy Garland in the 1940s actually before she met Vincent Minnelli. He worked for Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because of that, his work with Judy Garland, that he met Mickey Rooney. And because he was a, a friend of Mickey Rooney's, that's ironic that that's the book that I would wind up writing in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I have read that, and we're going to have to do this in two parts. I mean, <laughs> we could be here for breakfast if we started covering Mickey Rooney as well. Would we be able to, to do a second schedule about Mickey Rooney and the book and the research? Of course. Okay. Well, I mean, please don't feel uncomfortable or, or that I'm cutting you off about talking no, about No, not, not at all. But it is so much in depth. I've got the book. I'm reading it. And I'm just shaking my head and saying, how did they do this? How did you do this? It is really extremely well done, and there's so much in there. I, I don't want to shortchange on that one either. So um, let's talk about it if you want to, but do come back and talk about that exclusively. 
Okay, sure. so he was able to he, he was able to meet he worked for Judy Garland, um, able to meet Mickey Rooney, Fanny Price, W. C. Fields, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, all of these people coming together in his life, how did they come into your life? Well, here's the funny part about it. This is of course before I was born. Mm-hmm. But the funny part about it was what my father and his agency invented. It had not existed before then. They invented this. It was called product licensing. And oh, here's how gosh. it worked, just like it works today. They would have a star like Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers always had a gun, and he always had a horse. Mm-hmm. So what my father did was he sold to a toy company, actually Lewis Marks and Sons, in on Fifth Avenue, 205th Avenue in New York, or used to be there, the Roy Rogers licensed, the Roy Rogers stamped trigger figurine in Cap Gun. So growing up in the 1950s I was, and 1940s, I was kind of awash in product merchandise <laughs> of... I mean, pictures of Gene Autry, pictures of Roy Rogers. I mean, so it was very funny. You must have everything a hop along Cassidy then. I mean, if your dad represent, that was such a big merchandise boom in the old Diffie. Hoppy wrote one of the invitations to a birthday party, William S. Boyd. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I, I have a trigger question. And I don't know if this fits into the product it, it license. It was a horse. <laughs> the horse, yes. Right. The horse, okay. The horse. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, of course. <laughs> the, the trigger question I have, in 1956, I believe it was 56, when the Edsel, Ford introduced the Edsel, they had right. a contest that dropped a trigger pony in every, in almost every dealership. Did your father have anything to do with that? No, no, that wasn't his idea at all. Um, but that was something that came out of, um, actually, <clears throat> that came out of an advertising agency. So my father didn't really deal with that. It was more of an ad agency that actually did that. For okay, Ford. So he could claim innocence on that. I've often wondered how long that ad agency stayed in business after the kids found out so many of the ponies died. Well, it was really, it was just an extraordinary ad. Back in those days, back in those days, all of television was controlled by the advertising agencies, by Benton and Bowles, by McCann Erickson, by uh, Leo Burnett. They ran television. This wasn't, this, uh, this wasn't, they just got the sponsors. They came mm-hmm. up with show ideas. They either blacklisted or supported the stars, and they brought the sponsors in. So um, that was, that came out of an advertising agency. I don't know I'm which really one. I hear that. Your father's off the hook on this. Oh gosh, it was it was. On that one, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that one that one turned out to be such a catastrophe. Now. George Burns and Gracie Allen, were your parents in vaudeville with them? Yeah, my father was in vaudeville. 
I mean, my mother was in vaudeville too. My mother was in the Ziegfeld Follies. She was a mm-hmm. chorus girl. And on the old Jack Benny program, the radio program, she was one of the chicken sisters. And she was a dancer all the way back in, in uh, the 1920s. And as a child actress, a little, little girl, she was in the Pearl Buck movies and Lillian Gish movies, the silent films. Wow. All right. Tell me what kinds of stories she told you about that time in her life. Well, they ranged. Um, her, I think for her, one of the proudest moments was dancing with the great ballerina Pavlova. Mm. That was, for a child, that was actually very high. But she worked for Flo Ziegfeld. She worked um she she uh, 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 the funny story she told which was that she was dating that back in the 1920-ish, mm-hmm. 21, she was dating a hoodlum who worked for Legs Diamond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but at the time, she was only 16. Oh, gee. So my grandmother, who came from Germany, in a very forceful way, put a stop to that. That's really interesting. Um, Hoods and Legs Diamond type people don't necessarily um, take kindly to having their women taken away from them for any reason. Not if one of them is 16 16 years old. That's the one thing they're afraid of. Okay. Wow. That's really scary. You can get away with murder, but not with that. Oh, my gosh. That is really scary. All right. Now, how did your mom and dad meet? Um, That's funny. They met in vaudeville. They met on the road as as performers separately. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They began... Um, a radio show. Uh, uh, they were on the radio together. This would go back to the 1920s. And they found that they could do a stage act called Burns and Kay. And that was the act they then did. And they got married. <laughs> the end. <laughs> okay. What did they do on the stage act? Well, um, you know, the, the act where they sang, they mm-hmm. danced. But they invented the act later perfected by the Dickersons. Ah, okay. It was called Fly Gab. Okay. And that's what they this invented. This is good. The Dickersons are one of my favorite comedies. Um, right. Well, that's what they invented, that routine. That routine. You mm-hmm. say it. You won't do it. Do it now. <laughs> but that that was really a good routine. How how did that go over with live audiences compared to radio audiences? Was there a difference in how they were received? Well, probably not. I mean, the, the live audiences certainly came first when they were doing their stage act. Mm-hmm. And they had to change because they didn't have the visual in front of the stage. 
Yeah. So they were more patter, less dense. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, how did how did your mom and dad come together with George and Gracie? Oh well, the, from the very start, even before they even before they knew each other, because my father, after the Burns brothers became the Pee Wee Quartet, they added two more guys, and they okay. became the Pee Wee Quartet. And then my father went his own way with a man called Dan Stanley because he got a great contract. In addition to doing a vaudeville act with Stanley, it was called Stanley and Burns. They got a job working the Cunard and the White Star lines doing the Atlantic Crossing. So he was a cruise singer and, of course, working in London for King Edward. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about that. Well, it was short-lived, mainly because one of their gigs, the return gig, was on the Titanic. Oh, my. They didn't actually have the contract yet. Yeah. Because it hadn't arrived. But that was what they were up for. Oh, my gosh. What a scary thought. Yeah. It, would have, it was the return trip, not the original trip. The return yeah. trip, New York to, to England. Mm-hmm. But, my gosh, what a scary, a scary thought to be in any way associated with the catastrophe with the Titanic. Just incredible. Right, even remotely. I know, I know. I, I mean, that's that's wake up in the middle of the night stuff for years. Tell me how the four of them, George, Gracie, and your mom and dad, how did they stay so close together? Well, ultimately, because my father's business took him to New York. See, my parents for a while were living on Roxbury Drive with the Bennies for many, many years because they were working for the Bennies. And with the Bennies, my other godfather, Jack Benny. Mm-hmm. Jack Benny and Mary Livingston. <clears throat> so they were working with them. My father was a manager. My mother was in the radio program. So this was happening. And then when my father opened the agency in New York, they moved from Beverly Hills back to Manhattan. Okay. And so they stayed in very close contact with um, George Burns and Gracie Allen and Jack Betty and Mary Livingston. You know, so did I over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you anticipated my next question. Where did you live and where did they live? How and when did you first realize that your godfather was part of a very famous entertainment family? Uh, I, I always family. knew it. I mean, globally. I, I always knew it. I always knew what my parents' backgrounds were, what they did, right? Um, who their friends were. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no time that I didn't know that. You did not know that? Nope. All no right. Time. I, I, I want you to tell me about some of your childhood time spent with George and Gracie and Jack and Mary, if that was in there as well. Sure. Well, uh, a lot of times they would come to New York together. 
and they'd stay at the Sherry Netherland Hotel. And all my memories are from obviously being younger, except with George Burns, because I saw him when I lived in Los Angeles. But, um, and that was kind of a funny story. But the, um, in New York, they would come, and sometimes they would come, we'd all be at the Sherry Netherland Hotel together. And George Burns and Jack Benny had this habit of sharing jokes, of sharing jokes by telegram. Western <laughs> Union was like email back in those days. And so that's what they did. And so they would share jokes and see who, if a joke worked. And so sometimes I'd be privy sitting in the, in the hotel as they were back and forth with their telegrams going over why a joke didn't work. <laughs> it's interesting. That is funny. Do you remember any of the jokes that were flying back and forth? I wish I did. It was great material. That's <laughs> off the list. That's really a shame. When, when you spent time with George and Gracie in particular, were it, were, um, Ronnie and Sandra there with them? No. So you did not have any time spent together with those no. with the kids? No, not at all. None. They were they were quite a bit older than you. Much. They were older than, than my oldest cousins, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they were a good ten years older than you. They were like aunts so, and uncles, really. Or you know, they they should have been your parents' age. Just about. Yeah. Just about. Um Okay. <laughs> Tell me Tell me about their television work, George and Grace's television work, um, Jack Benny and Mary Livingston's television work. What did they do on radio and television that we're missing out on today? Well, Jack Benny went from what was on radio a situation comedy with all the different characters. Mm -hmm. And that's when, remember, there were two versions of the Jack Benny program, one in CBS and one on NBC. Now, so he went from his radio format, which was a situation comedy, to a variety format, which basically, it was vaudeville on television. He's introducing mm -hmm. people, he's in front of a live audience, he's, uh, uh, the live audience is a part of the program, he's talking to them. Um, the television is incidental to the live performance. There's a, a stage, a curtain proscenium, and the curtain opens, and there are skits. Even the songs are that way. Yeah. So that was how he translated a radio medium to television. Did it work? George Burns was different. Rather than go the variety route, they took the exact same radio format which was at home with the Burnses. Mm -hmm. But what they added to it was George Burns as a vaudeville comic breaking the fourth wall, in other words, talking directly to the audience and yeah. narrating what was going on from scene to scene was absolutely brilliant. It invented television, a form of television comedy. Never used again, but it was brilliant. Why was it never copied? It really was a, I mean, it just worked. It just worked. It, was it so worked because it was the vaudeville act. That's why it worked. 
It wasn't a television act. It was no. actually the exact same act as in vaudeville with the radio skits. Why was it not borrowed, copied, plagiarized, however you want to do it? Because nobody else could do it. I get your point. Nobody else could do it. If you analyze it and it works not just because of the format, but because nobody pull, could pull off the straight man that mm -hmm. George, a narrator that George Burns was. You have to understand, it, it, it's exciting to see. You can see it on YouTube, there are episodes there. It's so exciting to see that he is, he's working before, whatever he's working for, it doesn't matter because he's, he's aware of a live audience. And he's timing himself. Remember, he's on a stage, too, for part of it. Stage mm -hmm. opens, you go into the television show. So he's timing himself to the live audience. You know how hard that is? And he's talking as a straight man with a cigar as a prop. Didn't really smoke it that much. As a prop to the audience. Very, it, it, that's, very, that's impossible to do. But look at look at the various comics we talk about in the life and times of Mickey Rooney. I know we're going to do that on another occasion, but if you look at that, the different types of straight men that you've got, the two greatest straight men in history were George Burns and Bud Abbott, and they were entirely different. I was also thinking about. George was very flexible. You know, I mean, he started out, he realized that Grace was getting all the laugh in the vaudeville, so he switched the roles, and then he adapted from the radio to TV, and then when Grace was hired, he had to rechange into a totally different figure. I mean, he was very flexible, if you want to analyze. He was, he was, but he very wisely knew where, knew what the act was. Yeah. Knew the act was straight man, ditzy wife. Yeah. That's the act. And Gracie wasn't ditzy in real life. Um, that was going to be one of my questions in just a minute, talking about how they were in real life. But I don't want to let go of this one. Gracie, as a performer, came, I mean, she was ditzy. I mean, <laughs> there's no question about that. Ditzy was invented for her. However, everything she did, she could come up with what was a seemingly logical explanation. It, and that it was the worked. point. Uh, that's that's the point of the comedy. Yes, that's the exact yes. point of it. That's who, right. Who that's the point. Of the, see, the jokes are written backwards. Tell me about that. Well, w when you write a joke, you go for the punchline, and you work backwards mm -hmm. from the punchline. So take the standard. Take the standard repartee. You'll find this in the Mickey Rooney book, too. Take the standard repartee. George and Grace are at the breakfast table. Well, first, George introduces the scene. He's standing by the curtain wall, right at the proscenium, talking directly to an audience about how crazy it is being married to a crazy wife. <laughs> but he loves her, and that's what makes it so wonderful. And he's talking proudly to cigar. He says, now watch, this is a typical breakfast scene. Curtain parts, so now he set the joke. Curtain parts, parts, 
walks inside the stage, takes his place in the scene. That's why it was brilliant TV. You never saw that before. In the scene, they're having breakfast. Enjoy Jess Gracie. So um, I hear your brother was in Philadelphia. Gracie is unfazed by the question. And I remember they're in Beverly Hills. Unfazed by the question. Totally unfazed. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, exactly. He was in Philadelphia. George is a little perplexed. You'd think that he would should be more animated about her brother going to Philadelphia. So he goes, he was in Philadelphia? She goes, yes, that's right. So George is now, why is she taking that so normal? So he asks her, why was he in Philadelphia? Grace goes, again, totally flat. Because of his wife. Because of his wife, he went to Philadelphia. Yeah, that's what happened. Why did his wife make him go to Philadelphia? Oh, because they were sitting at breakfast. And she said, you know what I'd really love? Some Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> we'll see how long it takes to set that joke up. Yes. And that's what Gracie does. She teases the straight man out, repeating the same lines over and over again, building the audience anticipation. That's the mechanics of that joke. And, and it played in radio as well. Yeah, exactly. That, that was the way they it was did a, it. Was, it was a very famous, was a very famous setup. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite skits that they did on radio was George trying to find particular bills to make sure that they were paid. Right. And she had Mr. Uh, I'll, I'll say Mr. Jones filed under B. And he said, well, how, how could Mr. Jones be under B? And she started out with this long routine about he, he has his business on this particular street that begins with E. And E reminds her of something else Something else, she bought a chicken from him, but it wasn't in C because she bought bones for their dog or something like that. And that's how mm-hmm. we wound up with the C category. It, it was just this whole long string of occurrences and associations and happenstances that just logically put him in the B file. Right. And it made, and it made perfect sense. It, it, it does. And that's the part that always amused me was not only was it a crazy routine, I mean, it was really funny to listen to, but it always made sense when she described it. Right. That was the point of the joke, yeah. Now, did that say something about her or us or both of us? It was how the joke was written. (laughs) And it it was great. It was great. Tell me about George. In real life, in real life, Gracie Allen kept the business. I mean, remember that as far back as early 1950s, George Burson and Gracie Allen owned a production company called McCadden Productions. They produced um, Love That Bob, the Bob Cummings show on television. Okay. So what I'm saying is that it was that they were very it was very a very sharp business and Gracie Allen kept the bills. So she wasn't ditzy at all. No. No, no, no. She was 
um, by all accounts, a very, very intelligent woman. And knew she was, indeed. Knew she was very sweet. And backside. Uh, that she was really, if, if you had to pick one of the two in terms of being the linchpin of the couple as comedians, she was it. Well, right. She got the laughs. The thing with George Burns is he made it happen. And he was producing um, right through the 1990s. I want to talk with you about his later life as well. Tell me about George and Gracie as a couple in real life. Were they, were they quiet? Were they gregarious? Did they very, quiet. very quiet. Mm-hmm. Very quiet. Very quiet. Well, you know, again, I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So I would see them and be like a little kid, you know, but they seemed very quiet. They were very they raucous. Could. It was very raucous when my father, Jack Benny, and George Burns got together because they would talk about ah. vaudeville days. Did you listen in on any of their stories? Some of them, sure. We'd get together at, they would get together at the Sherry Netherman Hotel, and I'd get to listen during the daytime. And? Well, they were very funny stories about jokes. They would tell stories about the jokes they would do and jokes that worked and jokes that didn't work, where the audience just stared. Did they ever do each other's jokes under any circumstances? No, they would share jokes. I mean, they would do them. They would send jokes back and forth, and they would share them. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they would... Like one of them would say this joke was so bad he would never do it, but they would share jokes back and forth, sure. But they never did each other's lines, no. So we would not find Jack Benny doing a George Burns joke. No, no, their humor was totally different. Your father. No. He didn't do that. Milton Berle was supposed to have done that. Is that is that true? Well, Berle came out of burlesque. That's a totally different world than vaudeville. Burlesque in. Burl was in burlesque, 1915, early teens. Um, mm-hmm. we, we write about him a lot in the Mickey Rooney book. Um, Burl and Phil Silvers both came out of burlesque. And in burlesque, the comedians would stand backstage. They'd hear another comedian tell a joke. That joke would be immediately stolen and told in a different way, in a different act. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Now, Vaudeville toured. Burlesque did not. Is that correct? Yeah, Vaudeville was more of a tour, right? So you would have a Vaudeville show that was a review, Mm -hmm. and the various acts would be reset up. The burlesque troupe would stay together. Burlesque did tour. I mean, when Mickey Rooney was – when Mickey Rooney's parents were touring, uh, uh, Joe um, Yule Sr. and Nell Yule, um, they were touring um, throughout the Northeast, mm-hmm. so they both toured. But in vaudeville, in vaudeville, it was the individual acts that would get booked along a circuit. In burlesque, the entire troupe stayed together. Got it. Okay. So does that mean when an act from vaudeville was booked in another place, they might not know who they were going to be? back-to-back with in performance? Oh, no, you knew. I mean, you knew when, when you were being booked. I mean, there was, a, there was a line between early burlesque, well, late burlesque, too. Late burlesque was X-rated. Early burlesque was not. And um, there was a line. 
and real vaudeville players didn't go below that line, where real burlesque players would graduate through the vaudeville, and then in the case of someone like Burl, um, all the way to, all the way to, to uh, television. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose, um, suppose Jack Benny was billed, I'll say, in Sheboygan, and George Burns and Gracie Allen were also billed in Sheboygan for the same week. Would they know ahead of time who was going to be there? Oh, they would actually tell each other on the road when they were going. Yeah, sure. Ah, okay. So they did stay in touch with each other all the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did wonder about that. Did you ever spend time on sets with George and Gracie? Just later in life, um, because I saw George Burns at um, Hollywood Studios later in life. So, yeah. Tell me about what you did and what he was doing and what you came away with. Well, um, when I was 10, my friend and I, <clears throat> and this is, we've done this for years, but this is when we were successful, really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, we started, it was our first business in Queens, and we started a, a theater together doing stage theater puppet show and so in the summer we would do this in the summers and um in this one particular summer we did quite well and the local newspaper covered us and so my father sent that newspaper coverage to george burns in beverly hills who wrote us back this very nice letter um, kind of acknowledging the whole thing, recognizing it, and, and just, you know, congratulating us on the show. And then when my wife wrote her first novel, I sent that out to him, and he basically came back and said, you know, that he read it and loved it. So we did stay in contact. And then when I was in California, he was, um, at this point, he was very old. And so he, what he said was he wanted to make another Oh God movie. He'd done a few of them. He wanted to yes. make this Oh God movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said to me, what do you think would be um, a good plot? So I said to him, why not take the movie Death Takes a Holiday from 1937 mm-hmm. and make that God Takes a Holiday? Same play. So George Burns' producer is sitting right there. He was my father's producer. My father actually brought him into the business. So he's looking at me. And so George Burns leans over and says, get me Larry Gelbart. Well, Larry Gelbart was ungettable. And he was so not going to do this movie. Nor did an insurance company insure the movie. So that was the end of that. Why wouldn't they insure it? Because they didn't want to put a performance bond on a movie that was going to be that big, if um, if um, you know this was a hundred year old person. Oh dear! Oh dear! What a smack! When I was doing my television series UFO Hunters, I was it was about it started ten years ago. I was in my sixties. And the insurance company would not let me fly. UFO hunters would, created ancient aliens. 
and um, the insurance company wouldn't let me fly. I was not allowed to fly with a private pilot. I could fly on airlines. Yeah. But they would have because the insurance covered that. But I couldn't fly with a private pilot. And so when I was part of a a, a segment, like in the second episode of um, Catalina, mm-hmm. they had to get special per- and then again in Arizona, they had to get special permission from the insurance company, from the network to the insurance company, that I would be allowed to fly in those planes. Wow. That's the no sway idea. that an insurance company has over the making of something. My gosh. I had no idea. Um, I, I've got a couple of stories about the high-risk insurance companies and the, you know people who <laughs> insure things like a million dollars if you make a hole in one type stuff and personalities but i well I well you no can imagine when the actor does his own stunts and the actor is the franchise for the movie what the insurance premiums are for the completion bond of that movie takes up a it's, huge a huge chunk of the budget wow wow i i just I just had no idea that I, I honestly didn't realize that it was a reverse, that the insurance company could have such a tremendous influence on what happens in the entertainment or happens in the entertainment industry. Did well, not know um, second, second only to the ad agencies in television. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they do, don't they? Now, when George did... The Sunshine Boys, that has repeatedly been reported as a resurrection for him, that he he was, uh, I don't know how to, doldrums, I guess, is a, is a good way to put it. No, that no, what happened is he'd retired. It was after Gracie died. George, yeah. George did a few things. He produced, still had a production company, but he basically retired. Mm-hmm. And then when... Um, they were casting the Broadway. They were they were casting the movie. What's the Broadway cast? That played on Broadway. When they were casting the motion picture, the original cast member was Jack Benny. Right. And they went to Jack Benny, and Jack Benny had gotten a very bad diagnosis from his doctor, and he said, "Look, I'm 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 too sick to play this role. I'm not going to do this." But the the person you want to do this is George Burns, and that's how George Burns took the role. He never mm-hmm. planned it. When Gracie died, George had an extraordinarily difficult time after her death. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, remember they'd been partners. For as 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 well as spouses, and so um, George would go to the crypt where Gracie was, and he would spend time. He told me he described his day. Get up, go down to the Hillcrest, eat lunch, have a drink, go to the go to the production company. Is his office basically? Um, and spend time at, in the crypt talking to Gracie because he never wanted to leave her. 
Yeah. And he tried to do a few shows, a few series. I remember he was involved. He, uh, Carol Channing was one of the people, Betty White. And they, uh, they just didn't work because the chemistry wasn't there. You, you can't reinvent a Gracie Allen. No. And so that was his rhythm after all the years. And so he decided not to do it. It was only after it was only after um, the Sunshine Boys that people went back and wanted his character and doing movies like Oh God and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, it really was an, an extraordinary part. I yeah. have a story about Gracie's death and George that I wondered if you had ever heard before. I watched an interview. We get interviews. The really good ones are repeated, and this might even be up on iTunes, where Barbara Walters interviewed George and talked just, you know, a really regular interview, and he interrupted her and said, "I, I really need to tell you something. If there's someone out there who's listening, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I cannot do it nearly as well as he did. The essence of the message was you have people in your audience who are grieving. They have lost someone, and I'll tell you what helped me. One night, I was lying awake again, as I always did, and I got out of my bed, and I got into Gracie's bed, and it was the first time I slept since Gracie died. And I thought, what an extraordinarily sensitive thing to even think about doing and to make it so important that he interrupted his own interview to do something, to give someone else a gift like that. Was that consistent with his personality? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's completely normal. I mean, it, it, it's totally normal. Um, one of the things that he experienced was a profound loneliness. I mean, they were, they were a very, very close couple. And he mm-hmm. just experienced a very profound loneliness. And the only way to to um, get him through that period of, of, of loss was actually to inhabit her space. It's one of my favorite George Byrne book, Gracie, a love story. I just, I just love the way that thing unfolded. It was a terrific mm-hmm. book. Right, and he was a, a successful author of about four books. Yeah. I have 10 on the list here, can you imagine? Okay. Is, is that possible? Sure. Oh, he my was gosh. writing and I doing mean, movies at the same time. He didn't want yeah. to stop working. Just so prolific. Now, he took the role in The Sunshine Boys that was originally offered to Jack Benny. And, of course, George got the role because Jack Benny suggested that he might be the best uh, choice for it. Jack Benny died shortly after that. Tell me right. how Jack's death affected him. Well, they were, they were very close friends. I mean, they were very, very close friends. I can tell that they hung, that they they were over at one another's houses on a regular basis. Really? Yeah, just just incredibly regular. You see, how it was he- um, George Burns and my father who discovered Jack Benny in Illinois when he was younger. Ah. That's how Jack Benny came into the business. His name, his name was Benny Kabelski. Right. He was a violin player um, on the vaudeville stage in uh, Waukegan, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he was very funny. And my father di- discovered him with George Burns. And they brought him to L.A. And that's how he began his career. 
So all of them were linked together. Did they, all of them maintain um, a close relationship for the duration of their lifetimes? Yes. Yeah, my, my father died. My, my, my father died first in 1968. So he he was he had died by the time Jack Benny died, obviously. Uh huh. So he was the first to go. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I really need to talk more about your childhood experiences with all of these people, and how when when the adults were talking and sharing stories and sharing jokes what were you doing when you were a part of that group listening i mean basically absolutely nothing i was the only child in the room i was ushered out when it got too dirty but um i was the only kid in the room (laughs) that's funny do you have brothers and sisters no so you're an only child and yes were you accustomed to having, um, oh, I don't know, center stage attention? Yeah. So this was not any different if you were a child allowed to sit in on these adult conversations. Exactly. It right. would have been, um, it was a natural thing for you. Yeah, exactly Incredible. right. What, what is the best thing you have in your life today as a result of your association with all of these people? Probably a sense of humor. Tell me about it. Well. How, how would you describe your humor? As uh, at a certain point, realizing the humor of something and how something is funny and trying to communicate that. Ah, okay. I knew I'd love you the first time <laughs> you said hi. This is great. It really takes a special person to find humor in almost every situation, even the bad ones. Tell me well, about, you, yes. Well, that's why the Mickey Rooney book is dedicated to all those comedians. Um, there's mm-hmm. a special reason. I mean, when you think about them and think about the tragedies in their lives and what they had to go through, yeah. the fact that they could make people laugh the way they did is, is very important. And they could make people laugh I sense that not only can you make people laugh, but it's because you found real humor in what they're laughing at. Right, right. That they will always laugh at their own foibles. People will always mm-hmm. do that at, at a certain point if they don't yeah. feel insulted by the humor. That's an interesting point, uh, and I understand it. I mean, David Letterman was the master of that. Mm. Do you know David Letterman? Have you ever met him? No. Who in the industry today have you had contact with people who have name recognition in the front as opposed in the background creating these wonderful things that we laugh at or enjoy? Well, I mean, I lived in Hollywood in Los Angeles for about 20 years, and you're basically at places and you will cross paths with people. I mean, I was at the beginning of um, it was the uh, premiere of a television series, and they were having a party. I forget it was it was one of the studios. I forget what it was. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was Jerry Seinfeld holding court. It was much bigger than you think he is. Okay. I mean, it's really holding court, and 
you know, people were basically dancing like a maypole around him. And um, that was one person. When we were setting up the original version of UFO Hunters, the original version, not the one after we moved to our new production offices, but we were down the hall from Larry David's office while he was making uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And basically, I'd see him every day. We'd actually wait for the guy in the, in the coffee cart um, and, you know, exchange pleasantries. So, yeah, you know, uh, Stephen Bochco used to manage the Parker's car in two places. His very huge Rolls Royce. But, I mean, it, it was, you know, I mean, when you are there and you are working in the industry, you are going to, um, when you're at the studio parties and you're at studio events, you were, and I used to write for Star Trek and work on the Paramount lot doing a couple of books for them. So you, you are working with people. And if they're just part of your life. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't want to be, they don't want to have a television personality thing when they're not on. Mm-hmm. They just want to be left alone for the most part, or be friendly yeah. without having to perform. So interesting. Tell me, and, and I promised that we would try to stay with George, but you've got so many interesting things, and I, I want to do them all. Tell me about your television work that includes the UFO program, UFO Hunters, um, mm-hmm. Ancient Aliens, which I think was probably one of the best shows ever put on. Tell me about your association with them. Well, um, my work at UFO Hunters began uh, really when I was working on an old, older show called UFO Files, which was the, which actually was uh, one of the not the parent show, but it was close to being the parent show of, of that series, and it was a series of one-off shows, and. Um, my wife and I were running a book company at the time, an electronic book. We lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, I was running an electronic book company at the time. And we had just gotten conveyed to us the publishing rights to UFO magazine. And the electronic book club was really, it was a different enterprise, but it was related. And this television reality show was wanted to get in contact with one of our authors and use the material from our book on on the show. So um, I was, again, very, um, uh, how can I put it, um, uh, prickly lawyerly about dealing with um, the Vashconi wanting something for nothing. But the person who was our distributor for the magazine had his own band. He was a jazz musician. Uh, was bugging us to work with this guy. He was a friend. They were in the same band. They 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 played together. So you know, do him a do him a favor and just work with the guy this one time. This is a favor. So I did. And in the course of setting up this author's appearance and the book's appearance, at least I got him to advertise the book. The book's appearance on the show. In the conversation with this uh, producer, he was asking me about some of the uh, topics that he would be covering. And I happen to know some of the topics uh, pretty well. 
and it was about Russian UFOs. And uh, we began talking, and he said, do, do you mind if we had you for a segment for the show? I said, no, I'll do it. A way to basically promote the magazine, because I wore my UFO magazine hat. And that was the first time I had it on. So we did it, and we were living on our boat at the time in Los Angeles at a right at a dock. We didn't, and so we used the facilities of the, of the club we were in to do the filming. But in order to do it and get the water and the sailboats going back and forth behind me as a background, they had to shoot me looking into the sun. I just had laser surgery. So um, again, I was not a spring chicken at this point. So um, the, the um, well, I actually was. But so the, um, they were filming me and I, I had to put on my sunglasses. Um, just to share my eyes. I was mm-hmm. hurting too much for the laser. So they took a picture of it and they sent it back to New York. The producer said, that's the look we want, keep it. And that's how that look was born. It was born out of necessity and with the sunglasses and everything. And uh-huh. then, uh, so they did the, the episode and it got very high ratings. So they did another one. This time they did it on, um, with me introducing an episode uh, of the deep sea UFOs introducing mm-hmm. the episode on the, on a beach and on a dock that happened to do well so i was in a number of these episodes uh, and i and 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 my wife was the editor-in-chief of ufo magazine and she was working with pat usker who was doing um who had, had a ufo sighting on venice beach and filmed it he got very very excited so um he had, he had written her about his wonderful sighting, and he said, well, why don't you come write for us? So one of the suggestions was they ran home, and he had the film. He was a filmmaker, and he had the film of the one UFO that he, that he saw on the beach. And he ran home, and he, and he bought a helium, one of those bright, shiny balloons. He launched that, and he filmed that. And then he put the two of them together in a split screen to, sh- to demonstrate the different aeronautics, the different aerial behavior of the flying saucer he said he caught on, on video and the balloon. So my wife said, you know, that's a great idea. Why don't you, there are other people in the area, Pasadena, for example, um, Corona, places like that. Why don't you drive out to some, because people were going to his website and putting on their own stories. So she said, why don't you go out and, and just interview them on camera about what they saw? That would be, be interesting. And then you could do a series of movies. We'll host them on the site. And people will come. And, you know, if they want to buy movies from you, fine. And if, if they want to buy magazines, even better. That's what she was doing. Then I was at the same time, at the same time, I'd done a motion picture at Lifetime Television through Hearst. So I said, it's worth a shot. So I brought this guy, Pat, into Hearst with me to pitch a television series about going on the road filming people who've seen UFOs. And she said, you know, for one person doing this, it's boring. But what if you had three people doing it? And they were all fighting with each other over whether 
only they were seeing was a UFO or not. And so he got two of his friends from high school, one guy, and they set out on a few road trips to interview people and have these basic discussions. Well, they came back. We delivered the film to her. She liked it a lot. She called it UFO Road Trip, and she brought it to her boss, who said in very prophetic words, um, there is no market for UFOs on television. <laughs> Thus, Hearst opted out of a very successful television series. So at the same time I was doing UFO Files, they brought it to the producer of UFO Files. And I said, hey, you know, what do you think of this? And I told him the story about what happened over at, uh, over at Hearst. It's now called Actuality Films. And he said, let me take a look at it. They took a look at it. I said, you know, I like it a lot. There's a lot of personality here. I have an idea. So we got the, the four of us, and it was really about them. It wasn't about me. So he, but he liked the idea of having a mentor, a gray beard, going out there and giving instructions. Oh, you really should go to California because you, you could really see um, all the stuff there is to see. So um, that was going to be the plan. Well, we did one episode on the water in the Redondo Beach Channel. And as a result of doing that, and, the net, and that became a, a UFO files, uh, Code Red, I think it was called. And so when the network saw that, it immediately ordered a pilot for the series. In the pilot, they found the elements of story, which is important for a reality show. A reality show is not a documentary. A reality show is a television show, and the only reason it's called reality is that it's, it, it's like marginally unscripted. It's outlined and structured, but it's not scripted. And in other words, there's no dialogue. So the network liked it, saw the story in the pilot, and ordered uh, the first year of the series, and then it got renewed, uh, renewed a few times, a couple of times. And then... In the final season, we didn't know it was the final season, but in the final season, a show we'd been pushing for for two years, three years at this point, was a show in which we talked about the ancient monuments. And I was friends with, um, uh, what's his face, uh, Giorgio Tsoukalos, because we'd been on a movie set together. We'd been on a movie set together for Race to Witch Mountain. And I was friends with him. We were both magazine publishers. And he had this magazine called Legendary Times. So we got him as a guest doing the was, – it was, it was called the Tullamar Fighter. And that's how Ancient Aliens was born, out of that episode, out of that segment. It grew into something that was outstanding, just exceptional. Exceptional show. How did you? Well, I hate questions to say. How did you feel? How did you feel about Ancient Aliens' success and the quality of the production? Well, Ancient Aliens was a version of UFO Files, mm -hmm. but it would with a much broader range of guests. Whereas UFO Files were strictly UFO people. Mm -hmm. Ancient aliens were much, much broader. They really reached out to a lot of different people. And that's what made it 
had greater yeah. depth. Yeah, had a great root in history. That right, was that was the whole point. That people could get their arms around before they went into territory that they were not familiar with. Right. Good stuff. Okay. Um, gee whiz. <laughs> I've covered everything. Can we can we just talk for a minute about Mickey Rooney before I let you go? Sure. Okay. Now, Mickey Rooney, you've, you've got a great book. It's a huge book. How long did it take you to do this? Well, the research for the book was well, ever since before Dr. Feelgood. I mean, the, the research for the book, I mean, you could encompass it back to the 1940s. But in reality, it was about 20 years because we were able to use a lot of the interviews from Dr. Feelgood that didn't make it into that manuscript for the Mickey mm-hmm. Rooney book. Okay, so essentially you had some of the work done. You did not start out with a blank page and have to go. Right. Well, a lot of the interviews with Mickey Rooney were done back in 2007, 2008 uh-huh. for the Dr. Feelgood yeah. book. Okay. What did you learn? The top three things, what did you learn about Mickey Rooney that surprised you? The top three. I was surprised at how toxic he was as a human being. And I was surprised at how he actually only lived to perform. When he wasn't performing, it was like death in life. That's really interesting. Not surprised. And the other thing was that he was completely about self-gratification. There was no other person that Mickey was concerned about that he would gratify. It seemed like he demonstrated that increasingly the older he got. Right. The older he became, the more difficult he became. Hmm. Okay, why should people read it? Because they're going to. I think they should read it because it's a great book. I mean, um, (laughs) the story of Mickey Rooney is the story of America over the past hundred years. It's the story of how we evolved as a country, but uh, more important, it was how this one person and why this one person was able to project himself the way he was able to do that. I mean, it's a story of firsts. I mean, this guy was the first live-action hero of a cartoon didn't happen before Mickey Rooney, before Mickey McGuire films. The mm-hmm. the our gang shorts were just our gang shorts, but the Mickey McGuire films might have started off as an our gang knockoff, but they really were the live action versions of the Tunaville trolleys that were in the newspapers around the turn of the century. This mm-hmm. is only twenty years later. Mickey Rooney Mickey Rooney's character of Andy Hardy invented modern situation comedy didn't exist before the Andy Hardy series. Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland invented the backyard musical did not exist. There was no such thing as a teenage market before Mickey and Judy were making those um, films together. And in fact, today's movies, Grease, Forever Plaid, High School Musical, Glee, they all come straight out of the backyard musical from the 1940s. Didn't exist. And of course, Mickey was the first star to open up his own production company. I mean, he didn't know what he was doing when he did it, but he did it. His own production company 
using other people's money to fund motion pictures that he owned, but the studios released. Now that's the way motion pictures are produced for the most part. Studios come in for distribution. So these are all these are all major major firsts. How much influence did Mickey Rooney and I'll I'll add Judy Garland have in the creation of the teenage a phenomenon? I guess they were the center of it. It was they, it was were, created were, because of them. Did did they? I, I, I want to make sure I'm asking my question correctly because sometimes I trip over my words. Now they were cast in these roles. How much influence right. did they? They were cast have... in these roles in plays that already existed. Andy Hardy, the first Andy Hardy movie, basically was called The Family Affair, mm -hmm. and that was based on a 1926 uh, play, became a Broadway play too, called Skidding. But I mean, it was adapted for the screen. And that, unbeknownst to MGM at the time, created the teenage market through all those movies with Ann Rutherford and, 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 and all those actresses and, of course, Judy Garland, too. Yep. Whereas the Backyard Musicals, again, Babes in Arms was a Broadway musical from the 1920s starring Ray Heberton. And um, it was adapted for a motion picture. But yeah. those children, I mean... That mass marketing of those teenagers marching and jumping up and down and singing and putting on a let's put on a show that created a market that was limited to Broadway. Did Mickey Rooney have any influence in the way his Hardy movies played out and were cast? And I'm sorry, in the way he what? It, it, did he? Did he have any influence on the way the entire scenario played out? Did he have input to scripting, for example? Or Not when he was a teenager. Not when he was a kid at MGM. Not when he was a kid. But so as he got older, he would decide sometimes what scenes needed emphasis, what scenes didn't. And, of course, in the um, – I forget which movie it is, but it is like The Secret History of Adam and Eve, I think – he actually wound up directing. He took over the directing role in some cases, mm -hmm. especially from someone like Albert Zugsmith, who, who was known for making clunkers. Mickey wound up directing those films. <laughs> he went from clunker to success. That was great. Well, Bill, I know we started out talking about George and Gracie and Jack and Mary. Let me ask you a question about Mary before I let you go. Mary sure. Livingston, uh, we've, we've talked with Joan Benny a couple of times, and Joan has been quite upfront and frank about Mary and her inability to reach out and make friends and some self-centeredness. How does that display itself to you? Well, this would have been, of course, later in, in, in her life. I mean, uh, it's funny because... My mother was the one who discovered. I mean, uh, Joni Benny was adopted. Was adopted. Right. She was adopted from. Uh, forget. I, I, I want to say the orphanage was in either Westchester or the Bronx, but it was my mother who actually found Joni at the orphanage for Mary Livingston. They were good friends. They were both the Chicken Sisters together in radio. Wow. So, how did Mary impress you? 
she was just I very sweet a, to me. She's a I mean, sweet person. Yeah, always nice. I mean, Gracie was the nicest, actually. She was mm-hmm. the kindest of the whole group. She portrayed that personality even through her Dipsy character. Right. She was a I mean, just a, just a real kindness. Yeah. Very sensitive, very caring. Yeah. That's always so nice to hear. That perceptions about people that are good, good perceptions are actually correct perceptions because so often they're not. So that's a treat to hear. Bill, what should I have asked you about the relationship of your parents, Jack and George and Gracie and Mary? This was quite a collection of people. My gosh, it must have been like Barnum and Bailey. Well, it just it, it just went back to times they were children. That's all. I mean, nothing really more than that. I mean, yes, it was professional. It matured over the years. Uh, my father's role changed from performer to manager to agent. But um, it just, they were just childhood buddies. In fact, when my father was on uh, This Is Your Life, George Burns, back in 1956, um, it was funny. That's what they focused on was the childhood on the Lower East Side. I love it. Why did you move from California to Pennsylvania in the middle of the um, Probably um, a touch of masochism and suicidality. Okay. You really hate yourself 20 inches of snow work? Yeah. As I look out the window. Uh, is it, can, you, can you look out the window? Yeah. Barely. It, it's pretty hefty stuff out there. Well, yep. Bill, you, you stay warm, stay safe, and, and I do mean stay safe because that kind of stuff is, it can be brutal. I'm not moving and, from this couch. <laughs> I knew I'd like to. <laughs> this is good. Um, thank you for spending so we've we've had you for more than an hour here and I thank you for spending so much time with us and You're welcome, so it was my pleasure. Hours. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much, thank Bill. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. You bet. All right. Patricia and I are gonna stretch for a minute or two, everybody. So uh here's a little music and we'll be back. So here's a little Perry Como. I'll call you right back, Patricia. Okay. Here we go, everybody. For tonight I have That your eyes have told me You are my love, my own Come to my arms and hold me I live for you alone 
to light her cigarette and all at once you love her you've scarcely talked you've scarcely met but all at once you love her Tell her so She thinks you're wise And clever You kiss goodnight And then you know You'll kiss goodnight Forever You wonder where your heart can go then all at once you Thinks you're wise and clever. You kiss goodnight, and then you know you'll kiss goodnight forever. You wonder where 
your heart can go Then all at once you Troubles are through. Oop de doo, oop de doo. This kind of music is like heaven to me. Oop de doo, oop de doo. It's got me higher than a kite. Hand me down my soup and fish. I am gonna get my wish. Oop de doo, and it tonight when there's a trombone playing, I get a thrill. I always will. The concertina stretched about a mile I always smile Cause that's my style When there's a fiddle in the middle Oh, it really is a riddle How he plays a tune so sweet Plays a tune so sweet that I could die Lead me to the floor and hear me yell for more Cause I'm a hoop-dee-dooing kind of guy Poker and my troubles are through. Hoop dee doo, hoop dee doo, hoop dee doo. This kind of music is like heaven to me. Oh, hoop dee doo, hoop dee doo, It's got me higher than a kite. Hand me down my soup and fish. I am gonna get my wish. Hoop dee doo in it tonight. When there's a trombone playing. <laughs> Gets a I get a thrill, I always will. He always will when there's a concertina. Stretched about a mile, I always smile. You see him smile. Cause that's my Cause style. That's style. When, when there's, there's a fiddle in the middle, middle it really is a real high place. It's so sweet. Plays it's so sweet that we could die. Ah, yes, lead me to the floor and to hear me yell for more. Cause I'm a hoop dee doing kind of guy. higher than a kite We're in clover, we're in bloom When we're dancing, give us room hoop de doo in it with all of our might Rain may fall and snow may come Nothing's gonna stop us from hoop de doo in it hoop de doo in it hoop de doo in it tonight Written by my good friend, late friend Milton DeLogue We'll share a prayer, and then we'll get we'll play Patricia's theme song and get her back and do our normal stuff that we do on Saturday night. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. But the country help our friend tonight in the East Coast. Have them stay warm, stay comfortable, look after their needs, Lord. Help our American and women servicemen who served as the great country. Help us do the right thing, Lord. We act in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, it wouldn't be a show without a show if I didn't play Patricia's full theme song. So, 
Let's do that and then bring the first lady of Yesterday USA in here. Here she go. <laughs> Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Skype trademark app, online app, Walden is app, search edit, active favorites, Bill Burr at Clues, John Gass, Patricia from F applications, context menu, call, send SMS, invite the group, call, enter, leaving menus, contacts, list box, Patricia from FL home, phone number, favorites, five, unloading, JAWS, cancel, okay, enter, but Hello, you're so popular. We got calls stacked up for you already. <laughs> but be- Are we on the air? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. And I just played your theme song, so we're officially open. You know, we. Um, I mean, it, your theme song gotten so popular, I think most people want to, you know, they're going to kill me if I don't play the whole thing. So it's going to be a. And nobody ever heard of it either. That was just a happenstance gold finder. I know. And I love it. I feel so special when you play that. You are special. 
Okay, before we get to all all Patricia fan club, the people that love and adore her on the phone, we have a special person there for us. But let me go over up-to-date station announcements because we are pretty much in countdown mode to next weekend and things are moving practically every day. Like three new things happened today. And I want to sort of go over them and take note. And take note. And now you don't have a clue for all of them, but and no, and, 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 and 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 if you have any questions, you email the the the, the bright bunny rabbit. The one who knows nothing. <laughs> That's right. Cause she'll make it sound really good. As, as oh, last as, as last Friday, she told Gabe King, well, "I can make anybody sound really good." So you're gonna make nothing into something. You know, I'll give you nothing. You'll make it into something. You know, people will say. What? 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to be known as she who laughs alone because I would sit here and laugh at what our family says and does. Uh-huh. And now I am known as the person who has nothing in his brain. It's all alone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Already. Okay. Taking notes. Taking notes. Don't don't email me. Email Walden. Yeah. Well, email Patricia because yeah. she'll have all the answers. I'll 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 have all the information. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, people probably know the last time they're gonna hear us on th- Live Three Sixty Five through the Live Three Sixty Five website is a week from tomorrow, January thirty one. And right now on the homepage. Well, you're streaming from a different server, radio.co. And so today, um, Appian has made the changeover, and people who use their products, Replay Radio 9, things like that, which I use, that is working ready, good and strong. Um, the Wi-Fi radios are being moved over. Seacrane uh, Radio have moved over. We're waiting for Grace underscore Bill and contacting others at the moment and giving them the links. Okay, so that that takes care of that part of the puzzle. Uh, last the last couple of days we're promoting a mobile app and the one that is on the website maybe underscore Bill taking it down. That's not quite gonna work for us. So underscore Bill. <laughs> has um, made contacts with TuneIn. And that is, they have a mobile app. I don't know if it's good for Android, but it's for iPhones. It's where a lot of people listen to radio stations. TuneIn. And they accepted us. It'll be sometime next week before we're in the index. And the way you search for us it's very important. It's yesterday, space, USA, red, or yesterday, USA, yesterday, space, USA, blue. Do not use the word radio in the search field. It's not, not the way it's going to be found. So to go for yesterday, USA, red, or yesterday, USA, blue, and tune in, and that'll be sometime next week when that kicks in. The, if you're searching for the mobile apps right now that says Yesterday USA Radio, 
those are all going away because they're all connected in one form or another with Live 365. So just take a notice of that. The next Will there one... be links in the gray box that people can just go to and click? Yes. Yeah, there, there will so be. So essentially, for people like me who know Zippo about <laughs> about electronics and, and stuff that comes out over the air magically, for people like me, I could just go to yesterdayusa.com and the gray box in the lower right-hand corner, I could click on one of those links and be taken care of. You should be able to, yes. Okay. The answer is yes. Underscore Bill will be underscoring that. So maybe we'll have you proof for, just to make sure for clarity purposes, you know? Okay. Okay. We'll do it before next week, and that will give everybody more time to make sure all the bugs are, or as many of the bugs as <laughs> the raid bug spray can kill, are dead. Yeah. And I'll know if that's the right route. Okay, now the biggest issue we worked with Celeste last night. Good thing she called in, and I think we're now here the curve of, of an interesting thing. Patricia and I and Celeste and John and Larry and underscore Bill and Don Richard, we all had a think tank, and we all worked together on this one. We have realized that when you go to yesterdayusa.com, it's, there is no longer a common player. Remember, Live 365 had a, a Live 365 player, which many of us use to hear the station. Well, Radio.co doesn't do it that way. They use the player that, in, it, that is your default on your computer. In my case, it's Winamp. Uh, W-I-N-A-M-P. And so when I click on the Yesterday USA, the audio will be streaming to my default player. Uh, Patricia has her default player. Other people have theirs. So be aware of that. So if you, uh, you know, I think that we weren't thinking about that, but that's what's going to happen. So, um, you know, just so make sure you got it, your player on, you know what your player default is. And that will be another factor. So I want to make sure people are aware of that big piece of the puzzle. So, are you ready to talk to our first family member? No, I have a question first. Yes. By the end of next week, are we going to have a single link that we can click and not worry about anything else and just hear it, hear it streaming without Winamp or iTunes or anything else? I think the answer is no. What? What? Oh, dear. Okay. I'll have my hissy fit privately, everybody. <laughs> and then we'll come back and tell you next now, week. Now, now, yes. now, if, now, Patricia is the keeper of all, all, all uh, truth, the American way, and stuff like that. So she... not, not information. <laughs> <laughs> I have truth, justice, and the American, American way. And I'm we'll figure it out and I'll send emails to everybody I have an email and Paul I have your addresses as well thank you for asking he sent an email asking okay everything okay 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 so we're gonna work through this as a family everybody no we're not I'm resigning 
Now I see it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, this is good for you, Patricia. See, just think of the opportunities you 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 are increasing your learning curve. My brain can't help. No, <laughs> no, no. My brain hurts already. Okay, I'm in, I'm increasing my experience level. That's right. Because once you go to Skype, you're this this gonna be a really easy thing. Because you you tackle the other computer stuff. That stinks. Uh -huh. Mike used to be so simple with a pencil. That's all I ever needed to communicate with, a pencil. And maybe even by wire, like George and Jack. Yeah. All right. You ready? Okay. All right. Whoever is not ready for me can have me now. All right. Hi, Ralph. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I, I turned the corner in. It's good. You sound a lot more, you sound like you got a lot more energy, oh. Ralph. Well, you know, what my biggest problem was, was I couldn't sleep. And uh, last night was the first real night's sleep I had. Wow. That's great news. And I, I woke up this morning, and I sat in my big lounge chair, and I fell asleep again. And I woke up, and I fell asleep again. <laughs> so I finally rested. This, this is good. Your body rarely asks for something it doesn't need. And it sounds like it's going to take a little while for you to catch up. But honestly, Ralph, I can't tell you how much better you sound. Uh, you're getting better a teaspoon at a time, and we're hearing you a quart at a time. And your quart for this week is a lot fuller than it was last week. Oh, yes, you know, I, the, I feel a world of difference. Uh, I'm so glad. I thought you would, and I was hoping I was right. So we're, we're up to a celebration time here. <laughs> I'm so glad, Ralph. This is yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it, too, and I'm thinking of letting my nurse go over here. Yeah, well, I wonder stuff. if she had you back in the kitchen yet. <laughs> She's been carrying me. Uh, I guess it's since the second week of December. Oh, my gosh. Boy, this has been a long haul. Oh, I'm telling you. It, it was just, you know, one darn thing after another. Yeah. So it wasn't just one thing. If it was, I think I would have been out of the woods a lot sooner. But uh, apparently I'm coming out. You certainly are especially because you're sleeping. You know, the, the challenges that your poor heart was having now that the pacemaker is in and doing its job, the heart problem would have interfered with your sleep. So I'm oh, not yeah. surprised that you're, yeah, I'm not surprised that you're telling me you had a hard time. Well, you know, I was, uh, I was taking uh, Ambien to oh, make me sleep. Okay. And I think I got too much of it, and it, it was, you know, no matter what I did, I couldn't go to sleep. Hmm. So that seems to be resolving itself, and I'm very happy Good. about it. I, I bet you are. I bet you are. Okay, I, I have a, a snow question for you. Yes. Now, the northeast is getting walloped. I don't know what the actual inches are, but... Washington, D.C. was bracing for 30 inches, other parts yes. of the northeast, two feet. Now, you grew up in 
New York City. So, well, I thought Queens, I guess, in the borough of Queens. So I'm guessing that you didn't have as much snow as the surrounding areas. I'll ask you anyway, what was the worst snow you ever experienced, or the best if you were a kid? I remember it very, very well. It was, uh, I think it was the day after Christmas in 1947. We got about a ton of snow. Really? Yes, a ton of snow. Oh, it was a great blizzard. Big blizzard. That was the blizzard of 47, 48. Yes. Uh, and all, all the cars were buried. All you could see was a lump. And us kids, you know, we were walking up over the snow, that big hill of snow that was there. And there was there was a big hole in the snow, going straight down. Oh gee! And we were looking down in there, and all of a sudden you hear a guy trying to start his car. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was buried with about four feet of snow. Oh my God! The guy dug his way in there, and he was trying to start the car. We were we were amazed. Isn't that amazing? And if it, I mean that that really is the height of stupidity. If he had man managed to start it, yeah, it wouldn't have been any good, right? No, the tailpipe was plugged. He would have died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Hey, would have, I don't think he. I don't think he ever got to start of it. You know, be no airflow into the into sure. the fuel. And it just wouldn't work. But the guy was trying. <laughs> a valiant New Yorker. So what did you do in the snow? Besides laughing oh, at people doing stupid stuff. We, we 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 had you know everybody had a sled, and we just went all over the place on sleds, and some of the streets after they were plowed. They mm -hmm. froze over, and we were ice skating on the streets. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I saw today that some guys in, in Washington, D.C. were snowboarding behind a car. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> yeah, it, it really looked cool. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to get over, uh, I think, about 31 inches, what I heard. I heard today the in Manhattan the uh, mayor uh, they announced in a press conference this was the fifth worst storm ever to hit New York City. Really? Yeah. 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 I knew well, uh, I don't know what year it was, but the uh, the mayor of New York City he went on vacation and he turned mm -hmm. his, all the uh, responsibilities over to his assistant. And uh, when this, the story came out that snow was heading that way, it was Mayor Lindsay. The, the guy didn't send the trucks out to where the snow plows were. So when the blizzard hit, there were no snow plows. They couldn't get to them. <laughs> and that was a bigger mess. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. And, and he was in hot water after that, too. Where was the mayor? Say what? Where was the mayor? Where did he take his vacation? I don't know where he went, but he, he left town and 
Probably Florida. And the over there assistant. He probably went I to didn't Florida. Know what to do? <laughs> he went to Florida I for the winter. So I understand that it was at least 17 miles from where the trucks were to where the snowplows were stored. So they didn't get out there for a few days. I had a uh, I had a snowblower, and I cleared my whole street out to the Long Island Expressway wow. so I could get out to go to work. <laughs> I moved a lot of snow. <laughs> and and they're all thanking you that they had to go to work. <laughs> so, you know, uh, if you were uh, if you worked at Van Am. And you you went into work and you got snowed in. They kept you on the clock. So you know it was a good place to be when there was a lot of snow, because you made a lot of money. <laughs> what 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 would you sweep if you if you're going to be snowbound at the airport? Did they have a little private area for employees to lay down? Oh yeah, that, well you know I I worked in the uh, the linen section. Right. And we had all the pillows and blankets that serviced the whole airline. So we had no trouble making a little place to go lay down. <laughs> what a piece of work. They were the good old days. <laughs> when you couldn't go anywhere because you were snowed in 48 feet high. <laughs> yeah, it yeah we were snowed in and we were glad to be snowed in. So wait, did he get paid? Did he get paid time and a half for overtime? Is that how they? Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember if they played this overtime or straight time. Uh huh. Normally, you know, if you were there over eight hours, you got time and a half. Time and a half, sure. And if you were there over, uh, if you worked another four, like eight hours overtime, you got double time and a half. Double it was pretty good. And a half. Holy cats. I, I, know, I, I, I know in the grocery business, my brother, during the holidays and on Sundays, during the holidays, it's triple. So, yeah. you know. Whoa. And, and traditionally, in the grocery business, on Sundays, it's always time and a half. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Where do I apply? And I want to get there before our family does. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they were they were the they were the uh, the greatest days I ever had. <laughs> well, you have shared some of them with us, and turned our oh yes, greatest, you've turned some of our nights into the greatest nights we've had, based on what <laughs> you've told us you did as a kid. Well, you know, my, my best friend and I, we always used to talk about having a book written about the job. <laughs> and he, he wanted to get, uh, what was his name, Jimmy Breslin to write it. Oh, my gosh, yes. New York did. Never made any contact with him, and nothing ever came of it. But we could have written volumes. Unreal. Unreal. Oh, Ralph. So uh, before I, I let you go, we're talking about weather in the Northeast, which is horrific this weekend. What kind of weather are you having out there right now? 
Uh, it's been, uh, we're very grateful. Uh, we've been getting quite a bit of rain. Good. Our lake levels have started to edge up. But like, you know, our big lake locally is 180 foot down from the crest. That's, I, I cannot fathom 180 feet. I mean, that's an 18-story yeah. building. Yeah, there's not very much water left in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where they have a power station built into the dam. And uh, that's where most of our electricity locally comes from. Mm-hmm. So we don't like to see that lake go down because if it do, then we're going to have to get our electricity from some other place. Yeah. And that would get expensive. Oh, yeah. Getting your water well, from some other place is expensive, too. Yeah, I think oh, it would it would switch over to uh, PG&E and come out of Reading. As it is now, there's a substation right at the... Uh, at the dam, it distributes mm-hmm. electricity locally, and gives us a big break on our electricity prices. All right, if you say so. I said so. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Well, Ralph, thank you for calling in, and you just made our night telling us how much better you're feeling. Oh, yes, I, I really, uh, I, with all this new stuff that you got coming up, I hope I can get a hold of you next week. <laughs> I, I hope I can get here next week. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a big move that they're making, huh? It is a big move. They got Patricia wandering the streets of Fort Myers, making sure we're going to get this done right, you know? And, and worrying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you'll work it out. Well, All right, listen, but, but, I'm going to let you folks go. Okay, Ralph. I'm going to kick back and relax a little bit. Perfect. Okay, good night. Good night, Ralph. Good night. We're going to put Patricia on the front line of tech support, everybody. She'll be the tech support person. <laughs> <laughs> Just support, period. <laughs> Let's check one of the things I get supported in. 714. Five four five two zero seven one. You want to call Patricia? The phone just magically rings. You know, whatever for whatever format Patricia in, the phone rings anyway. You know, pretty Before amazing. Before I go, is the dingalings happen? <laughs> That's right. Hello there, Carl. You're on the air. This is John from Maryland. John! Maryland, it's past your bedtime. I know, I stayed up a little late. Oh, you're so good. How are you? Well, we're snowed in. I mean, really snowed in. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. How much did you get? About three feet. (gasps) You got it. You hit the jackpot. We were bullseyed. (laughs) Are are you okay? You have electricity? You have services? Electric. But the, okay. the fires are here or underground, but I don't know where, you know, where the source is, you know, yeah. above ground. Are, are you going to put okay. some of this in, the, in a box and mail it to Patricia and I? No, he oh, my God. <laughs> you, won't, you won't believe the wind was so hard. It blew my my daughters and son-in-law's up. They had French doors in the back on the deck. 
blew him off the track. Oh! Oh my gosh! So we got it back on the track, and they got uh, they got tape all around the door to keep the wind from blowing. Actually, the snow was blowing through the door, so wow. They had a, they had to tape that all up, and so far it's held, and they got bungee cords holding it. That's what I was gonna say. There's got to be some form of support that way. That can you got to anchor it down. Cords. Yeah. There's a bunch of cords holding it in, in, in place. My yeah. gosh. When did that happen? Like in the morning, John? You know what what time of the day when you guys noticed the this, front doors were open? It was, uh, let's see, they started a fire in the fireplace uh -huh. in the morning. And uh, then we had to get wood, which is on the deck. And okay. And you can't even see the deck. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, they opened the door and they shoveled it away from the door to get the wood, and then they couldn't close the door because it was off the track. Oh. So, anyway, they got it on the track, but it won't lock, it won't seal, so they got it taped, you know, around the, yeah. the perimeter to keep the air from blowing in. But uh, it finally stopped snowing around 11 o'clock. It snowed 11 almost tonight? Yeah, tonight. It, the finally tonight. stopped. It was too full wow. of snow. Have Have you ever seen this much snow before at one time? This This is the biggest I've ever seen. This is the biggest one I've ever seen. And I can remember one. We call it the uh, Palm Sunday, 1942. 42, okay. And uh, what had happened, it was my brother's confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to go to Sunday school, but I was supposed to go upstairs to the church. I think I told you this story. I was supposed to go upstairs to the church and wait for the family to come in. Right. But uh, I didn't. I saw all that snow, and the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get home and play in it. <laughs> <laughs> when I got home, I was soaking wet. And uh, my mother had a border at the time. And uh, she she made me take my clothes off, and she ironed them. And then she put uh, my snow clothes on so I could go out. And in those days, I wore a snowsuit. I don't know if you remember. Patricia, have you ever seen that movie? That I've seen story? snowsuits, yeah. You remember the, the, the little boy who wanted to get a BB gun? Yeah. You remember that? Well, that one of the boys in there, he had a snowsuit on. Oh, okay. I have I have one of them goofy things. <laughs> well, you stayed warm, didn't you? Yeah, and when my family got home from church, I, I got, where were you? Why weren't you in church? You know, blah blah blah. And uh, I got lost. So anyway, she said, "Where's your clothes?" Is it upstairs? And my mother looked, and they were all clean and dry. <laughs> What what, what would a snowsuit, would that, a muffler, and what would oh, generally... Your whole body, zipped oh. up the front, you put your legs in, uh -huh. put your arms in, it zipped up to your neck, and then you had a hood on it, and, uh, my God, it was... like it was puffy a, long johns. Wow. It was a clumsy thing, too, you... It sounded like something I should have in California. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh, it is really bad here. The, my son-in-law, he went out with in the driveway, and uh, he's got a double garage. And he lifted up the garage door, and the, wood, the snow was halfway up the garage door. You know, like <gasps> a wall. So they pushed 
Oh, my goodness. Got the snow blower out there, and he, he cleared off the, the driveway. You can't even see my car. My car, of course, is a double garage, but I have to park mine alongside the garage. And all it is is a hump. <laughs> can't see anything. Like Ralph was talking about. Yeah, it's just, Ralph was talking it's about these, these mounds that they were playing on, and there were cars underneath. Yeah. Right. Too funny. Too funny. Well, I'm glad you're safe. I had read even yesterday, before the worst of it hit, there were 100,000 people without power, which is a horrible thing to think of in the wintertime. Oh, gosh, you can live without air conditioning, but not in 20-degree weather. Oof. My, my granddaughter's husband, he works for Baltimore Gas and Electric. And mm -hmm. they're working 20, uh, 12 hour shifts. Oh. Yeah. And uh, if he goes out on a job and he can't leave in the middle of the job, you know, you have to complete it, you know, put in these power lines. Mm -hmm. And he's making something like $100 an hour overtime. Sheesh. Uh, and then okay. they go out of state if there's help needed out of state sometimes. They'll go out of state and. Uh, Gee. For those things, and she's the one that works for the CIA. They closed the government. The government's closed. But her. That's comforting. Do we know the difference? No. <laughs> oh, never mind. The, government, the government's closed anyway. So. <laughs> the CIA is frozen in. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh. But uh, anyway. So, how, oh. are, you, are you guys going to keep a fire going out throughout the night? How are you guys going to stay warm? Or how are you, how are you guys going to handle the, you know, uh, the... Well, the fireplace is cut down. But we have to dig. My, my son-in-law, he's got to go around now because he can't go out the patio door. You get the firewood, so he's got to go around. got to go out the front door. got to go front of the house, around the side of the double garage. Mm -hmm. And he's got a big... The back of the yard is enclosed with these, uh, I guess it's about seven-foot-high fence. It's all wood, and he's got to figure out how to get the, the gate open to get to the wood. <laughs> oh, forget opening the gate. Just burn it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's it's pretty bad up here. I'm glad we we went to the store. We went three different places trying to get bananas. And, uh, bananas? Yeah, because I have a potassium problem. And, uh... Oh, didn't you say that, uh, yesterday that already most of the stores were mostly out of everything? Yeah, you... you, you it's walk, like a hurricane. You think it was like World War II when there was nothing on the shelves anyway, you know? <laughs> I think I was he hearing this morning that in West Virginia the only thing open is a couple of gasoline stations and a couple of, uh, you know... Convenience stores, but they they don't have hardly anybody showing up. Cause, you know they just want everybody stay indoors right now. Yeah, they, in order to well up up to where I live now, it's near the it's at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Right. And uh, you can look up and see the mountains, but and uh, but there's still a lot of steep hills here. You know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're about five six hundred feet above sea level here. But uh, these back roads, I, I wouldn't want to even try to drive on them. They up and down and surround curves and all, you know. 
in deep hills. They want you off the road so they can clown. Yeah. Bad stuff. Well, John, as part of our Saturday night service, I'm going to email to you a list of foods that have even more potassium than bananas. Oh. There's a lot of them. There's like, I think, cantaloupe is one. Cantaloupe is a lot. I went Um, on the Internet and clicked on, you know, potassium. Foods mm -hmm. contain a lot of potassium. Acorn squash is at the top of the list, and I love acorn squash. Sweet potatoes have a lot of potassium. Yeah, Um, right. So so you can have a backup. I mean, acorn squash will stay forever. It's not like a banana that will rot after two days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe you could have some backup foods or even a prescription for potassium from your doctor just in case of situations like this. Yeah. And my wife, she's got a... B12 problem, and uh, <laughs> so I got to watch out for her B12, and I'm, I got to watch out for my potassium. Yeah, yeah. I just had a physical a couple days ago. Well, it was Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, and uh, my electrolytes are low, and uh, a lot of things. But uh, my cholesterol was only like 104. <laughs> was like 101. Everything else is falling apart, but your cholesterol is fine. Oh my! Oh, you poor guy. But well, we'll, we'll we'll struggle tomorrow. My my son in law says he's gonna. It's hard to walk when it snows over your waist. <laughs> yes, it is. Very hard to very hard to use a snow shovel as well. Yeah. <laughs> Are these snow? Plow the driveway again. Are these snowblowers? Are they like handheld kind of thing? Can you get? Oh, no, he's got a, no, they, a real they like big one. Is like lawnmowers. Like his big lawnmowers. Oh. Got the one that it it, it it churns up on the inside, and it's got a, a stack where it blows out the slope, the snow, and you can put it in any direction you want. It, it, so it does it blow hot air basically? That's how. No, it's no. blowing no. hot air. It just blows mm-hmm. snow. It just blows snow. Yeah, it just sucks hot it up air and air blows it out. A chimney-like thingy. Huh. California people don't understand. No, no, no. I would invent one that blow out hot air, but that's just how I would think, you know? <laughs> Hang around me for a while. <laughs> you will need one. We're going to go on. We're, we're, we're about uh, 12 miles from this, the city of Frederick, Frederick, Maryland. And mm-hmm. they got they got three and a half feet. I mean, two and a half feet of snow. But where mm-hmm. we are, it's a lot colder, you know. And the snow was really, really coming down. My daughter has an in-the-ground pool. Uh-huh. You can't even see it. It's completely covered. You can't you can't see her deck. Nothing. It's just all snow. So maybe maybe tomorrow, all you you'll be going ice skating because there will be nothing. You know, no sense in you. Mike, we, we used that. Yeah. Couldn't get to the pool. <laughs> we couldn't get to it. <laughs> oh, my. I, I'm pretty sure Patricia's not moving up north, everybody. Just wanted, I just wanted to make that a first first day's award. I don't think we're going to be able to convince Patricia to move up north. Oh, oh my dear. It was not even a consideration. <laughs> oh, my was, dear. Really? I was, looking, I was reading the paper on the computer. Uh-huh. And I put on the Baltimore, Baltimore Sun, and two men walked off 
the pier into the harbor. Didn't see the end of the pier. And actually fell into the harbor. <laughs> Jeez. They got him out. But <laughs> That's pretty dumb. Yeah, I heard in New Jersey they're having waves about as high as they had at Sandy. Oh, Ocean City, Maryland. Yeah. Underwater. That is, they, they had it on the news. It was terrible. It was terrible. At the seawall, it just wasn't holding back the water. It was just, mm. you know, every time the water would be, they, they got waves down there probably 10, 12 feet high. It just in, engulfs the whole seawall. Scary stuff. Yeah. It is just scary, scary stuff. Yeah, a lot of people were, were wondering where winter was. Well, we got it all at once. Because <laughs> we had a couple days in December we where found it was. <laughs> where was it? We found it. Oh, dear. Oh, you poor guy. Oh. Well, John, you stay safe and stay warm. And call us if you need help. We'll do something with the Marines. I don't know what, but we'll send the Marines. <laughs> well, I'll try to stay safe. Please do, do John. That. Stay inside. i got to keep my eye on the door tonight just to make sure it don't blow open during the night. Yeah, yeah. I no think if the door blew open, my dear, you would know it. <laughs> my goodness. My goodness. Cold air. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's life. I can remember the blizzard of 66. I think I remember most of them. We had a blizzard here in 1966. It was a surprise, surprise blizzard. So what had happened, a bunch of the men in the neighborhood, before it snowed, before it was a, even a snowflake, they said, let's go bowling. So six of us went bowling. And uh, we stayed in Bowling Alley for a couple hours. Then when we left, it was snowing like crazy. I said, oh, that won't last. And uh, we stopped in the local tavern to have some beers. And uh, <laughs> and then after that, we, we, said, we said, let's go get some breakfast. <laughs> we got in my neighbor's station wagon, and we went down to a shopping mall, and we got place called the white coffee pot and we went in there and we got breakfast and when we got out it was like 18 inches of snow guys but we finally known I mean girls don't do that Patricia well they might do it but it would be with a little bit more thought than well this won't last <laughs> and seeing out the window and walking in this stuff and repeating, this is not going to last until you can't drive anywhere. And then they what? say, I wonder if this is going to last. And you know I made it to work. You did. I made, Good old I made it to work. And uh, one of the young boys in the office had just gotten a brand new 1966 Pontiac GTO. And he says, yep, I'll pick you up. Said, okay, but he couldn't get down my street. He said, but I can get to the top of your street if you can walk up there. I said, that's fine. So I, I got to get out of the house and walk in two and a half feet of snow. Mm. But I got up to the top of the street, got in his car, brand spanking new Pontiac. We got to the highway, and you couldn't see where the highway was. You knew it was there, but you didn't... <laughs> 
you had to make your own trail. You're going by landmarks to get to work. <laughs> and hope the fire hydrants weren't there. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the geez. They rewarded oh, us yeah. with an extra day vacation. <laughs> my, my, my. Well, John, you do be safe and have a good day tomorrow. Stay warm and don't ever do this again. Okay, and I liked your interview tonight. Oh, good. He's a fun person. No. There are so many things we can talk about with him. It was hard to stay on track. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hop in bed because I'm all ready. Oh. Um, <laughs> your little Dr. Denton jammies on. I just know it. Everything's in one. All I got to do is turn off the light. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you stayed awake for us. Thank you. Okay. Stay warm, John. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, I'll probably talk to Walden tomorrow. Yep, with that crew. Oh, good. Every, we'll probably have Ed play nothing but snow songs or some some crazy thing. You know, we'll, we'll come up with a fun thing for them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, guys. All right, John, get some Thanks, sleep. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good. We're checking in with the snow bunny parts of the family here on Yesterday USA. I am Walton Hughes. That is Patricia from Florida. And Are you positive? No. I know you're Patricia from Florida. I, I'm hoping I'm Walton Hughes. Anyway, it's 17... I thought it was the other way around. It's 17 May before 10 o'clock here on the West Coast. It's Saturday night, January 23, year 2016. And hello there. You're on air. Good evening, Walden. Good evening, Patricia. Hi, Jim. How much oh, snow... Hi, how much, Jim. How are you? How much snow did you get today? Uh... Well, there's a song that says it never rains in, well, it says Southern California, but I guess you could say Northern California, but I can definitely say it never snows, or at least today in Northern California. Well, I have an announcement to make about... Uh, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you qualified that with our weather systems. You just no. don't know what's coming. Speaking of... What happened? I mean, it's stranger things have happened in the world. Speaking of liquid snow, um, today in Oink... <laughs> Today in Orange County, uh, City Coast Mason and others county want to do away with the restriction for the drought because we don't we don't understand why have it anymore when where the it's above you know above snow level down here so that so I'm just letting everybody know that we think the drought is over down here so. Well, that's fine. Are they going to lift the restrictions or? Well, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to listen to us. You know. No, it, it takes so long to recover from a drought. No matter how much rain comes down, it takes much more time to get over a drought. Well, I have I a paratransit driver. A There's a paratransit driver I have, who one of the drivers that takes me to doctor's offices and stores and things. He's a very mm -hmm. cynical, conspiratorial man. I mean, he believes in that the government and the corporations and corporate America manipulates things. And mm -hmm. he said last year to me, he doesn't believe there really is a drought that the water companies and the government said there is to get higher prices. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't been out with his measuring stick lately, has he? Well, I'll tell you what else he said. He said, if we really needed rain, God would send it. I'll mention it. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> And how do you argue with that? I mean, I don't know. What, what do you say? <laughs> you say, how do you know? Did he tell you? 
he just doesn't believe that. He 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 remembers the energy. He always thought the first energy crisis was manipulated. Uh, and I know people like that who who feel not just him but other people that feel they're probably the same one that believe that we never land on the moon. That the moon's made out. That's true. The, that's, that's true. The moon is with mirrors. Yeah, mm-hmm. the moon is made out of green cheese. <laughs> well, he, that one too. Oh, <laughs> he never said that, but he 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 did say. Well, I, you know, I can remember in 1974, and this man knows uh, when uh, the first energy crisis happened, 73, 74. My uncle called my mom. She was we were living in Illinois, and my uncle from Southern California called my mom. I said. Have you heard the horrible news? And my mom says, what? And she, I kid you not, this really happened. She said, we are in a crisis. There is a toilet paper shortage. And he was, and, oh, and, uh, and, he, gosh, and when, when she visited oh, him, she saw all these rows of toilet tissue stacked up in, in his cabinet. And it turned <laughs> out later... What happened was Johnny Carson had made a joke on The Tonight Show about the energy crisis. And one night on The Tonight Show, he supposedly said something like, the next thing you know, they will tell us there's a toilet paper shortage. And apparently that got around somewhere. It was a joke of Johnny Carson's, and somebody thought Mm -hmm. they heard it as a credible news report or something. Yep. But he doesn't, this driver did not believe in the... It was like saying there's hamburger meat down at Jones department store during World War II. I mean, they were like, look, if they cleared off the shelves, it was incredible. Um, But I I suppose there are other things that, I don't know, toilet paper is a pretty important thing to have around. You know, and I was thinking, well, I, I won't stay on this too long, but I was thinking, I don't even know when it was invented. I mean, how long it's been around as a part of. I know Kleenex came out in like in the twenties or third in the twenties. I read that in the Roaring Twenties book I reviewed a few weeks ago, and I don't know when. Now we have we have had toilet paper discussions for two years, and I never looked up the origin of toilet paper, which I will do at this very moment. Okay. <laughs> it, I, my my other question then. Why do they call it toilet paper? Why couldn't they just call it something else? Well, it's been called bathroom tissue. I never heard it called that way before. That's interesting. In the 50s. Yeah, oh. that. Hang on. I hang never, on. Hang on. We hang on. You, we will, Jim. Um, no, I've never heard of bathroom, bathroom tissue. Because you're in California. <laughs> I'm going to use this at every opportunity. The origin. Anyway. Uh, I keep thinking my housemates here, and she doesn't. I'm not. If, unless they say who they are, I'm not answering the door. Um, <laughs> uh, this is good. Okay. Let's see. Anyway, in the '50s on television, when you heard commercials for Scott or whatever mm-hmm. the product was, they called it bathroom tissue. Huh. I guess I always thought that was different. Uh, well, I do remember there was a toilet paper ad in the '70s. Where this little girl said to her mother, and she would whisper it, toilet paper, we need toilet paper. She'd whisper it in this real <laughs> low voice like it was a forbidden forbidden word or something. That's funny. Let's okay, see what have you found? Um, using toilet paper in human history, <clears throat> excuse me, dates back to the 6th century. Hmm. 
AD. Okay. Wow. Medieval China started it. You know, China did so many wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Background qualifications. Now, i got to tell you, I'm on a site that is serious about its toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. It says, it begins with toilet paper is a tissue paper product primarily used by both human males and human females. And it gets worse from there. <laughs> That's a pretty clear definition. Wow. Yeah, but then they tell you how it's used and where it's used okay. and why it's used. <laughs> so who who used more, females or males? That, that, that's, probably, oh. that's, probably, that's probably been researched probably, you know? Everything else gets Everything you. Everything else is. <laughs> I can take a guess, but I don't know this for sure. I'm not going to take a guess. Who you? Mike, Mike, be a fun show tonight. Yeah, my my guess is the male of the species. Oh, we we dominate everything, so we we you know we're more. We we need more. We need stuff in bigger bunches. Well, I'll tell you this, so this is just this is just an opinion. Very clean show, everybody. I, mean, I, I guess if we can debate Tootsie Rolls. Yes. We can debate this, I suppose. Yes. Um, I much prefer the kind on a roll than the kind you get in public bathrooms, where it's like in this like this towel dispensary, where it feels more like paper towel. You know, it, it's it, it feels like sandpaper. Yeah. Yeah, the hard stuff. It, it, very delicate on this end, you know. It, uh, you know, I, I think it's me. Some of that stuff is so thin. Yeah, it comes apart really. Yeah, I I prefer to I I guess it's a double layer, or whatever, or, or whatever. You know, it feels like toilet paper. But, uh, but it's, but, but yes, but, Bill Bragg, but, we're talking about toilet paper on your station. I guess why they ever said it. Bill Bragg didn't say it was ever been. <laughs> maybe now, tonight, who knows? But, but it is, it is a, but it is a, uh, but uh, the re- the only reason I thought of it was because of that shortage, that supposed shortage. You know, you, you think how many trees must be eaten up with toilet paper and Kleenex and Napkin. ta- napkins and, uh, you know, paper towel for the uh, kitchen? Yeah. We're eating a lot of trees, aren't we? How do you? I have, huh? Hang on, I'm sorry. No problem. I Go ahead, Val. interrupting you. This is driving me crazy. Go ahead, Jim. Hang on. I, I have hit a gold mine. You found you found the toilet paper capital of the world. The toilet paper encyclopedia. Wow. You think I'm kidding? No, I believe you. Huh. Okay. Let's see. In different surveys. Well, it tells who who does the folding and who does the scrunching and who does the, the wrap around your hand routine. Um. But we want to know. Unsanitary public restrooms. Okay. I'm assuming this is going to be a future trivia site for Patricia. So it'll come up. Uh, but 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 I'm also thinking about just how convenient. Let's say paper napkins were for house and or paper towels for that matter for mothers and housewives compared to having to have cloth napkins out all the time or towels mm-hmm. when you're eating. Yeah, just think of all the think of all the. Uh, the cut down of wash, Monday wash day. Yeah, uh, and I'm also thinking about things like uh, uh, 
Well, uh, to many a young mother, I'm sure many a young mother today is so thankful for things like loves and huggies and disposable diapers. Yeah, but it's a great art how to how to manipulate those safety pins, though. It, well, but you don't have to with these things. They I know. With, they come with adhesive straps. Yeah, but I think it's, it's, I, I, I think it's great art that they learn how to do you know, those, those pins, you know, those long... Yeah, those, those are with the old diapers. I know. But I'm sure Matt is glad that she can dispose of... If you get a coupon for $8 off on a package of diapers, you know you're in a high-priced territory here. Oh, I don't oh. know how people afford to keep their kids in these things. How much are diapers generally? Uh, well, let me... As long as we're talking about poop. Oh. <laughs> I never thought we'd go this direction. <laughs> and that's what makes Saturday night so interesting. We go so many directions, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know there was this much money in disposable products. Oh, gosh, there is. Hold on. Let me see here. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for Huggies. Snug and dry. Let's see. Snuggle. They probably come with a dozen in a box. I don't know how many Huggies comes in a box. They, they usually come in plastic, you know, big, bulky plastic wrappers. Mm. Let's see how many we get for our $25 here. Um, a plus pack. Excuse me. How many? It doesn't even tell us how many are in there. Three. Oh, gee. Let's see. 192 diapers. I don't know how many times you change a baby. How many times do you change a baby? I don't know. A day, you mean, or, or, a right, or during a whole period of it? Uh, uh, my guess would be two to three times a day. I would guess oh so, goodness, yeah. I think well, I'll be right. Do you think so? He starts out with a brand new diaper in the morning when he wakes up. Yeah. Certainly has one by lunch and dinner time. Right. And then I imagine... And one for the night. Right, that's four. So minimum of four. And, I, my bet would be six. And, and then if he if he has any accident or whatever, you know, those are new ones coming in, so. Maybe five, maybe. Four or five. So I mean. really, if that box of 192 could be gone in 40 days or so. And when you think, and, and they generally stay in diapers till they're what? A year and a half, two years old, maybe? Yeah. 10 or yeah, 11, I, I thought. I would say it, yeah. 10, 11 um, years old? I found, I found a bundle of Huggies, 192 Huggies for $42. Let's see what other people sell them for. Should we corner in the market on this? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Should we what? Well, you know, if the Hunt Boy try to corner the sofa market, I think Patricia Wong should least try to corner the Huggies, don't you think? I always liked the Loves commercials in the late 70s. You remember those that diaper called Loves? Uh-huh. It's still on the market. I'm seeing it right now. And I, I always liked the commercials. One of my favorite announcers and narrators, Norman Rose, did the commercials. Mm -hmm. Love with a firm texture. And, 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 the, and there was a song that went, Loves, Loves, your baby's comfortable something with Loves. And I just, I always like those loves commercials. Uh, my now, mother tells me that when I, when my brother was born, I used to uh, take, we had a little portable washing machine in our kitchen, and I used to take the diapers 
the clean diapers and hand them to my mom. I don't remember that, but she says I used to do that at two. So now, Patricia, as a wonderful, mm-hmm. as a wonderful first crack writer in the family, you are the t- you are the chief copier. Culture, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you have fun writing copy for uh, for Huggies? I don't think so. My copywriting days are over. <laughs> <laughs> Would you, have you ever thought? I was so happy when I was able I do to do my. Re- we're going to do a review tonight later, too. Uh-huh. But before uh, that, did you ever think, Patricia, about writing? Have you ever wanted to write commercials, either write slogans or doing a commercial, <clears throat> either radio or television, to benefit, mm-hmm. uh, showing the benefits of a product because your your ability with words and what makes that product unique? Well, not necessarily a commercial, but that indeed was a, a substantial portion of the corporate writing that I was doing that I was so happy to be able to okay, do. Okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait. wait. Yeah. Okay, I want, I, I want to ask a really big question in this category. Uh, what? Did you ever write a jingle? Oh, heavens no. You never wrote a jingle? No, I never did. Wait a minute. I think you're missing out on something. <laughs> Do you have to be able to play the piano? You have to be able to play something besides a buzz comb. Yeah, but but she. I guess you have to think of a melody to get to, to. Yeah, to I mean. Y- y- Although y- today, unfortunately, most advertisers today, if they do singing commercials at all. They just take old rock and roll songs and adapt them to commercials now. You don't have you don't have original jingles anymore. Yeah, and I, we don't. We do not remember what they are. I think Patricia's just going to jingle business writing again, don't you think? Well, you you, you don't have anything like Holly jingler. You don't have anything like you get a quick tan with QT, a double tan. You see, you'll find it any time, rain or shine, when you use. Clap, clap, QT. <laughs> don't have anything like that anymore. You are the only person in the United States of America who can do this. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Well, no, I'm pretty sure. If I searched every state, it would be next to impossible to find someone you could toss a product name at and who could sing the jingle. I bet you. I bet we could come up with a category one night off air, probably. Jim, give give us give us a hundred jingles. I bet Jim could do it. Sure, he could. Well, they they stick in your head. I mean, I I can't remember the words to uh, Hamlet except to be or not to be. But yeah. I remember QT. And, <laughs> well, I even remember. And I mentioned this once before because I thought I was out of my mind until Walden Walden restored my sanity one night. <laughs> uh, I, I there was a. And I, I, in the 50s, as a five- or six-year-old, I do remember this X-Lax commercial where it, it told it from the viewpoint, once there was a clarinet, and he felt very bad. And then one of the other instruments in the orchestra told him, you know, to take this stuff. And then the, the, in a Gilbert and Sullivan style, the group says, you can rely on X-Lax, and the clarinet went, dun 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 And I thought I was out of my mind. I was even going to write the OTR Digest to see if there really was such a commercial because I remember hearing it. Well, one night when Walden was running One Man's Families from 1957 and 58 on NBC when it was sponsored by multiple sponsors, I actually heard the commercial. Woohoo! 
Well, I didn't restore my, <laughs> you restored my sanity while well, on that <laughs> issue. I mean, I wasn't dreaming. It's always nice to know when you're not hallucinating, and you really do re- <laughs> <laughs> and, and people who hallucinate usually don't know they're hallucinating. <laughs> all right, Jim. I I want to know. I want. I want to know your favorite jingle of all time and sing it for us. Oh, let's see. What did I really like? Yes. Let me think now. There were so many. What I liked as a child was, and I may not get all of the words right on this. It was for a bubble bath product called Soaky that Colgate made for kids in about the early sixties, and it went something like this. Smoke Soaky soaks you clean in an ocean full of fun. Scrubbly, bubbly, flippity, floppity, clean before you're done. And you're soaky, soaky, clean. And for every girl and boy, when you're soaky, soaky, cleans, there's a wonderful soaky toy. Because the bottle was shaped like a toy in cartoon characters. They had Woody Woodpecker, Alvin, Mighty Mouse. Wow. That's my case. There is not another person <laughs> in these 50 states who could do this. And with the X-Lax commercial, speaking of poop, is probably a diff- it was a very difficult thing, it still is, for advertisers to make recommendations for stuff that people couldn't talk about. Well, I wonder how many advertising agencies would, how the, many, all these agencies would feel if they knew I never bought many of the, hardly any of these products, but remember their jingles. Well... I don't know. Well, you know, they would probably feel very good. They were not products you would want, but you didn't forget them. Well, I mean, and that's isn't that the basic purpose of advertising? You associate a slogan or a song or sure. something in sure. your head. I did not know until 1970 until they created it as an advertising slogan. The last year when cigarettes were allowed to be advertised on radio and television. Mm-hmm. Did not know it was incorrect grammar to say Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. And you remember in the mm-hmm. last year of Winston commercials, they put on this campaign, "What do you want? Good grammar or good taste?" And and one someone again asked, "Some people say we should say Winston tastes good as a cigarette should." And I never knew that was wrong to say like until they made the grammar or good taste thing. I mean, we we are in an era of who cares. <laughs> Yeah, but apparently they did it it worked for them to do the commercial, right? I mean, they obviously did it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they caught, it, it, they, oh, uh, it was rhythmic. Winston tastes good as a cigarette should, just doesn't make it. Right, like it, musically, like a cigarette it sounds right. I mean, it's just more musical. Yeah. And besides, the advertising people didn't take grammar in high school. Well, you know, there's a lot of products where they're, they're incorrectly incorrectly grammared. You remember Camel used to always say, have a real cigarette, as if all the other cigarettes weren't. What do they mean, candy? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading another book now. This isn't the one I'm reviewing. Uh, uh, I will be reviewing it later on the history of fast foods in our country. And they, there was a chapter on advertising for children. And they talked about camels, that more children at the age of five or six now who know who Joe Camel is than virtually any other character in advertising. You know, they've seen his picture. No kidding. Isn't that scary? And And it, it validates what people have been saying for years 
that the cigarette companies are advertising to children now. Well, you know, I mean, we, we've talked before about the candy cigarettes in the 50s mm-hmm. that got children hooked, or at least they hoped they would. And when they yeah. actually hit, many of them had real brand names or names that sounded, you know, like brand names. Uh, uh-huh. I remember Captain Kangaroo had a con one time when he was on. He was always very careful about what advertisers he had on his program. Mm-hmm. And one time, uh, uh, the maker of a children's vitamin approached him about advertising children's vitamins on television on his program, and he absolutely opposed the idea of advertising children's vitamins. He thought, you know, that it was a medicine and doctors needed to take care of these things. He went, uh, the guy from the vitamin company actually went to Frank Stanton, the head of CBS, to see if he would approve it anyway. And happily, Frank Stanton stood by Captain Kangaroo and said, the captain has an absolute right to pick what products are appropriate on his show? He just didn't feel it was appropriate for to advertise vitamins to children. I, I bet you Flintstone vitamins have sold a bundle of vitamins over the years. Oh, they have. They have. I even remember a radio spot in 1987 where the mother and her child are talking. Well, which one will you, will you take today? Pebbles or... And remember, you can only have one. Oh, gee. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy, am I glad I'm not in that anymore. Oh, boy. But it, but oh it's, uh, but then again... Mm-hmm. I, could ma- I could make a pile of dead leaves look good. But then the corporations could always argue that advertising is the American way, and it's the way to, you know, it, it's capital capitalism or profit at work. I mean, I mean... Th- Whenever there's been proposed legislation, for example, to restrict advertising to children on television, the NAB and advertising agencies have fought it and had lobbyists in Congress saying, you know, that it interferes with free speech and the right to sell products. And so how do you argue? I mean, I understand the argument of consumer of consumer groups that want to protect children, but then they the corporations and advertisers come back and say, we're selling a product. We're making a business like everybody else. So it, I guess it's a two-sided argument. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is. Sometimes I, there are sometimes I think that. I mean, one thing that one reform that was made in the early '70s on network television, uh, people who ha- who did who hosted programs could not advertise products, endorse products for children like. Going back to Captain Kangaroo, when Kellogg sponsored a portion of his show, he and Mr. Green Jeans and Mr. Moose would do commercials to promote the various Kellogg cereals. The FCC changed that rule where the star of a show could not promote a product for the kids. They I had to do. Not know that. Yeah, it was one of the when reasons that, in the early. Jim, when did that happen? Early seventies. I'll be tired. I did not know that. Because Captain Kangaroo used to say, this portion of Captain Kangaroo is brought to you by all those good Kellogg cereals. And then in the early 70s, a staff announcer said it. He didn't say it at all. Hmm. <laughs> but then in, in old-time radio, the Lone Ranger promoted Wheaties. Um, cereals. Yes. Cereals, yeah. cereals, cereals. At the horse is running. <laughs> And um, 
you know, about being ad promoted for brown shoes. I, I guess it's different to promote shoes than it is, say, foods, fast foods or junk foods or whatever. Well, I still think Buster Brown and his dog Ty is still a great symbolism for... Do you make Buster Brown shoes? No, I think Chuck, they do. I, I looked, and it looks like, and this was maybe a year ago I checked, I think they make children's sandals, not regular shoes any longer. I've I'll got go check shoes, that after I get out of shoes, everybody's got it, shoes. My guess, yeah, my, my guess is probably because how many kids are wearing dress shoes anymore? Is, are everybody's in sneakers. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. get into shoes. Well, yeah, I mean, let's face it. When we were kids, I remember you would, you would go to school in dress shoes. You know, remember with traditional nice dress shoes, you would go to school or Sunday sure. or church, and you, you know... You got your sneakers out for exercise and and. There was a difference. They had stricter dress code. We had well, we had dress shoes for Sunday, mm-hmm. like if you went to church, and then you had another pair of shoes you would wear during the week for school or something. Uh, that reminds me another subject before we get to the review. We're covering so many. Uh, what about one thing that was a great help to me because of my coordination problems and other issues? I never could manage tying shoes, and we and, we, and finally we just started wearing slip-ons or loafers. And I'm just grateful that it leaves me a, something I don't have to worry about. One of my friends said, "Don't you want the challenge of learning?" I said, "No. If I don't have to bother with tying shoes, why should I?" I mean, uh, <laughs> why should, and I keep walking around saying I haven't used my algebra today yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm talking to two people. We have to learn algebra. I'm I'm talking to two people. One who don't like to wear shoes. One who one person in my life who just walks around in the house with those shoes because she prefers that I way. I want you to know it's cold tonight. Yeah, it's a good I idea. Have I have my wait, maybe shoes on. Up, Patricia. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, hey, could you look up Patricia how slip-ons came about with shoes? I would be very interested in knowing that. It's made my well, life. I'm fun. still I'm still on huggies. I'm sorry. Said that, and then I'll and then I'll get you out. Okay, of the let's ask the big question of the night, though. Yeah. You, is Patricia got shoes on? Patricia has shoes on. Tonight. Okay. It's my cold. my big question is. I don't want to talk about it. Well, but... do we have your Snoopy socks on? No, we don't. Oh. Cute little, cute little anklets. No Snoopy socks. No, I you know, I have to get Snoopy out. I've got these really great Snoopy socks, and it's got pictures of Snoopy with his typewriter because he he's always writes the great American novel. Okay, <laughs> I before know. I go to, what am I supposed to look for? I mean, we did toilet flip paper. On, flip on shoes. Flip oh. on shoes. Oh, flip on shoes. Okay, before I go, Huggies has a product that they claim will last up to 12 hours. I don't know any product that could last that long on a baby. Who I don't either primary function is to fill up a diaper um <clears throat> and it's 148 diapers for 25 dollars so i guess that's Deal, not I guess. bad after all yeah it just seems like such a lot to uh it's 25 dollars actually to to put 25 dollars on the counter and go home with something you're going to throw away yeah Think it's, it's called it's called recycling um, I know, I know they don't, I'm on the shoes thing, I know they don't have 
button shoes anymore. And I understand there were button shoes at one time, and I guess buckle, you know, the old nursery rhyme, buckle my shoe. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, yeah. knock on door. Whatever. Five, six, pick up stick. Seven, eight, lay them straight, right? Yeah. Nine, ten, big fat hen. Right, and that's where it stopped, I think. I think it was 11, 12. I can't remember. It's funny, I remember commercials, but I can't remember that. <laughs> I know Patricia knows her one twos. Yeah, one two. Very good. I'm one, proud two, of you. Buckle my shoe. Three four. Shut the door. Five six. Pick up six. Seven eight. Shut the gate. Keep Nine going. ten. A big fat hen. That was it. You had to go to ten. Wait a minute. What about eleven twelve? Nope. Just ten. You ran out of fingers after there's that. There's ten. <laughs> of course, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, there's just ten. Yeah. Okay. Just ten. The big fat hen. Okay, 1847 in London, developed the first loafer as a country house shoe for the landed gentry and royal family. So there you go. I haven't... Actually, they said that the first real slip-on shoe was a moccasin created by the Native Americans. This may sound like a silly question. Wouldn't it have been easier just to for everyone just to use slip-on shoes where they wouldn't have to worry about trying them at all? I mean, does that? Oh boy. Yeah, but yeah, but but the shoelace, the shoelace lobby, the shoelace lobby was in in full force. They wanted to make sure, you know, if she didn't have if she didn't have shoelaces, there wouldn't be all that extra work. Yeah, I guess that's true. You Uh, know. And then, 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 Jim, then we, then, then we wouldn't have the Jack Benny show on December eighth. Oh, oh, right! I never thought of that. Yeah, December eighth, nineteen forty-six. The classic. Donnie shoelaces. Yes, the silver, the silver tip or the plastic tips. Yeah, I guess you're right. But uh, (laughs) buckles aren't on shoes. You can't get buckles on shoes anymore. I don't think can you? I mean, to my knowledge, you can't. Uh, Was that buckle like a belt buckle? I Mm -hmm. would. Mm Yep, I know they have, the Mary Jane shoes for little girls yeah. had buckles. I know there was some boots have zippers on them. Yeah. And I guess there's that Delcro that you can uh, tie mm-hmm. across the shoe. And they make I, them in shoes now, too. Yeah. Isn't that one of the great American inventions, Velcro? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It is for me. Yeah. Do you find, do you, did you have? I wish we had more more clothes and shoes made with Velcro. Sure, mate. Yeah. Did you have trouble? Uh, this, well, of course, you you didn't have you you lost your vision later, so right. I guess it wasn't as much of an issue. No, it was, trouble learning to tie shoes, or do you remember it? Or uh, no, yeah, I I had no problem with tying shoes. Um, and it took me and the once I figured out a pattern to tie my own tie. You know, that was always an interesting thing to make sure you had both tails of the tie just right. You know, sometimes clip on then. Oh no, I, I I did the the full, you know, the double the double knotter tie routine. Yeah. You know. The Windsor knot. Tying thing, you know, tying the knot like on bathrobes. Uh, it was always hard for me to tie the robe because it would tw- come undone or get untwisted, uh, or get twisted some way. I I always preferred robes, and my mother was able to find one for me. My bathrobe having buttons on it. They don't huh. make many men's bathrobes with buttons now, I don't think. Well, remember, I, I remember, I'm a Boy Scout, and we learned how to tie knots. You know, you know, we had a different knot we had to learn. 
Yeah. And there was the knot. See, there was a method. You could t- you could make a bunch of knots and then pull the string and they all disappeared. Yeah. But at least you know. But at least. But 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 then again, I someone when I still say when that person asked me that question, don't you want the challenge? And I just said no. That's just the way I felt about it. Yeah, but Jim, just think of all the hours you lost. I mean, you could have fun for hours upon hours upon hours tying shoes. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. It's just it's just there are other things I'd rather be doing. Uh, right, singing jingles. I suppose. Yeah. I guess I guess you're right. Well, let's see. Tonight's book is a little more serious. I, I, I was going to do another uh, Katzenbach book, which I just read, but since I did Katzenbach last week, I'll save him for the next time. Mm-hmm. This book is by a writer I know most people are familiar with, Norman Mailer. And he wrote a book, the late Norman Mailer, in 1995 called Oswald's Tale, An American Mystery. It's 828 pages. It's published by Random House. You, you specialize in big books, don't you, Jim? Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess as Patricia was saying one time, you say for your reading, even if it's the best novel in the world, 800 pages is sometimes just difficult to handle, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess even if it's a story you really enjoy. Well, I guess if you well, enjoy I, the story... you wouldn't give it the page. opportunity... Yes, opportunity, yeah. Okay, so everybody, if we're going to get Patricia to read War and Peace, we need to cut it into thiffy, small little booklets. Do you know, forgive me for interrupting, but I don't want to miss this opportunity. The California clients I I do a lot of work for and I love dearly. We've yeah. been together since, you know, Adam and Eve picked the fruit. He is reading War and Peace, and he's almost finished. Holy cow. We need said, pages. You've got, you've got to be kidding me. He said, well, it was written in Russian, so I'm reading it in French, because I don't know Russian. French is his native right, language. Right. I remember him when he was on the show with us. Yeah. That's right. It's Martial. And he found it, and he put it on his, I don't know, he, he's not, he doesn't use a Kindle. It's something else. Right. And every night, he reads Part of War and Peace. Well, I have how's it going? He said probably a lot better than if I had read it in English, because the translation from Russian to French is so much closer in in the terms that they use, and there's also a lot of French happening and French people in War and Peace. So he's well, having a better time than you would make me have. So we need to have Maybe him. I'll just ask him to explain it to me. Yeah, we should have him on. We should have record his explanation of War and Peace for the record it one one afternoon. I wonder if we talk about War and Peace. Please. <laughs> I wonder if uh, well, I believe on the talking book, the Library of Congress version, I believe they still have the version that Alexander Scorby read. I think I heard once it's like twelve hundred pages or something like that. And I bet Scorby probably brought it to life. You know, he, he had such an excellent narrative. Of course, he did the Bible for the yeah. Library of Congress and a lot of other books. So Scorby probably would bring that to life. Hey, you know, but it, 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 why why did one peep become such a running gag? You know, we've always because it's so huge. Yeah, Where it's other... so huge. I mean, people Where's people have to have, books? in my estimation, if they were like me have to have a lifetime to get through this thing because it would only be a couple of pages. It's intimidating. 
Well, look at how long it probably took him to write it. See how big it is. Yeah, but, yeah, but. of that, Patricia? How long, you think of how long it took him to write it? Yeah, but Patricia, good point. Patricia said, read a page a day, you get it done in four years. Okay. Okay. Alright. Norman Mailer divides this book into two sections. And the first section takes us to the Soviet Union, Russia. He was able to go to Russia once the Soviet Union closed and talk to people who knew Lee Harvey Oswald when he was there and knew Marina. And uh, he even got access to some of the KGB files and uh, the KGB taped conversations. The KG- Well, first of all, Lee Harvey Oswald defected to the Soviet Union in 1959 after he left the Marine Corps. And the Soviet Union didn't even want him there. He wanted to live in Russia. He was ready to renounce his American citizenship. And he even attempted suicide in a, in a Moscow hotel by, by uh, slashing his, trying to slash his wrist. But the Soviet officials took sympathy on him and agreed to let him stay, not as a citizen, but as a, you know, as a alien. And they sent him to the town of Minsk, where he worked in a radio factory, mm-hmm. an apartment there. The KGB kept careful track of him on the grounds they weren't sure if he was really connected with the CIA or was doing spy work for the U.S. government. And they recorded his conversation. He fell in love with Marina, a woman he had met in Russia, and they got married in 1961. And the KGB recorded all of their conversations. The marriage was dysfunctional from the beginning. Constant arguments about this and that, how the money was spent, uh, how Lee wouldn't help with dishes and cleaning up and things like that. Lee's mother wanted him back in the United States and started a campaign, and he eventually, I guess, got somewhat disillusioned of the Soviet Union. And in 1962, they were granted visas to return to the United States. But the first 300 pages or so, half of the book deals with his life in Russia. Then, in an unusual twist for a biographer, he goes back and goes the second part dealing with Oswald's birth and childhood and so forth. He was born on October 18th in 1939 in New Orleans. His mother, a very domineering, uh, shall we say, uh, narcissistic, as one New York Times reviewer put it, person, her husband, Lee's father, died two months before Lee Harvey was born. Oh, gee. Which doesn't exactly help get you on the right track. This is no plea for sympathy. I'm just saying it, it It doesn't help. He never had any real role models. She married several times with several different men, hung around with several men. She moved frequently. She went to New Dallas and Fort Worth and New York City. In New York City, she was discharged from one of her store jobs because of sanitary habits. So uh, he had a very uh, unstable childhood, to put it mildly. He joined the Marine more at six t- at, in 1956 at 17, more to get away from his dominating mother than anything else. But he had disciplinary issues in the Marine. He, he started to read about Marxism and communism. And so in 1959, he defected to the Soviet Union. 
Well, they came back in 1962. He had several unsuccessful jobs in Dallas. He was fired. He and Marina again were fighting frequently. They gave birth to a da- he gave they gave birth to a daughter before he left the Soviet Union. Uh, it was a battle to get him back in the United States because of the red tape and the bureaucracy. But once again, he he wandered from job to job. He purchased his rifle in March of 1963 from Klein's sporting, sporting goods store in Chicago. And his first idea was to kill Major General Edwin Walker. He was a former general, very active in the John Birch Society, very right-wing. He did actually fire a shot at General Walker and missed. And he came home all excited, told Marina, I did it, I did it. He was waiting to hear the radio reports and newspaper reports. And it got very little coverage. He thought there'd be headlines galore. According to Mailer, Oswald's attempt to kill Walker may have not even been really to kill him, but for the personal attention it might have brought in his own mind. He Mm. goes to New Orleans uh, to find work, hopes to bring... Marina had been befriended by a Quaker woman named Ruth Payne who took her in. He goes to New Orleans. He gets actively involved in a pro-Castro group called the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He actually appears on a radio program in August of 1963 on WDSU in New Orleans, where he and an anti-Castro person debate, and I've heard recordings of part of the debate as part of the NBC coverage It was played afterwards. Uh, He was dyslexic and had trouble reading, but... If you listen to him in a debate, from a speaking viewpoint, he seemed very, whether you agree with his material or not, he seemed well prepared. He didn't stutter, he, but he had dyslexia. He decided he wanted to go to Cuba and live. So in, in September, he goes to Mexico City where he, where he could get a visa to go to Cuba. They tell him that he can't get the visa unless certain paperwork is filled out. And he has to wait several weeks to get the paperwork filled out. He doesn't want to wait several weeks. And he tries to the Soviet embassy. He wants to go back to Russia. And they tell him the same thing. So he gets back to Dallas. And Mrs. Payne helps him obtain his job at the Texas School Book Depository. He continued to have fights with his wife. Uh, He learns that President Kennedy is visiting Dallas. And he, knows, he learns that the route will be right by the building where he works. On the evening of Thursday, the 21st he go, of November, he, go, he asked a co-worker to drive him back to Irving to pick up some curtain rods. He and his wife have a final argument that night. His wife doesn't want him to touch her in bed. Um, he wakes up, leaves his wedding ring and money on the dresser, goes to the garage, and goes to work in Dallas. Mailer argues that Oswald really did not have a personal hatred for President Kennedy as such. He was the one prominent, he never really expressed that much of an opinion on Kennedy in any of his conversations. That he, he did this mainly in the hope of obtaining personal attention. It was it was one of those things where like trying to kill General Walker. He he succeeded. He escapes. He visualizes even if he's arrested that he can make great statements in court and make a presentation before the world of his Marxist theories or whatever. 
But in panic, according to Mailer's research, he, in all likelihood, he killed Officer J.D. Tibbet in panic. And by killing Tibbet, any chance he may have had of being a political revolutionary or statement was overshadowed that would just put him in the class of a common cop killer or, or street criminal. Well, when he's arrested, he all the reporters are there. They take the cameras. His mother takes up his cause very deeply. Jack Ruby, he does profile Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby was a resident of Chicago who moved to Dallas and ran this nightclub. Many conspiracy theorists believe that Jack had interconnections with the mob. He was on the fringes of the mob. But many of the crime leaders were later quoted as saying, Ruby was so unstable and high-strung that the mob never would have entrusted him with any kind of uh, mission to kill. But he got delayed. Uh, he, he, The police were going to move him, Oswald, to the county jail late on Saturday night, but there were delays. They finally had to do one more questioning of morning and one more possible interviews with reporters. So his transfer is delayed, and Ruby is right there in the... Uh, Police statement with the uh, gun, with the police basement with the gun, shoots him, and of course Oswald dies at Parkland Hospital. His mother is, of course, heartbroken. She and Marina are in constant fights afterwards. Marie, uh, Marguerite, Lee's mother, believes that her son was was doing things for the government, and she, as astounding as it sounds actually told officials that she thought her son should be buried in Arlington National Cemetery, of all ironically. Oh, my gosh. Both of them were out in La La Land. Wow. Uh, he, uh, Ruby died of cancer in 1967 after his conviction. Uh, Ruby, by, and maybe argues by, by the, by, and so did the New York Times reviewer. I read his review of it, that by killing Oswald, all Jack Ruby accomplished was making Oswald into more of a major conspiracy figure or legend than he would have been had he even gone to trial. He's become almost one of these, uh, he says, in all, Mailer argues that in all likelihood, Lee probably did it by himself. He, he made a comment in one sense that um, the idea that a non-entity like him killing a prominent person like JFK made, at time, made the universe seem absurd at times. He used the word absurd, of the absurdity of the universe. Um, the, uh, but he was one of those people, one of those wretches of history. He, Mailer summed it up by calling Oswald's life was an American tragedy. There were things tragic in his life. I would disagree with Mailer's conclusion. I'm more apt to go along with the words of NBC radio reporter Morgan Beatty in 1963, who probably put it better than Mailer did, more in lines with my opinion, describing both Ruby and Oswald. Morgan Beatty said of both of them, they thrust themselves unwanted into the history books of the world, uh, which is an apt description, I think. Remarkable. I, give I had no idea that he was such a vagabond and traveled to so many different places and for so many different reasons. There was no, he, he was interested in Marxism, but he never really studied, he studied it, but he was, you know, and at one point at the Cuban embassy, he talked about how in Mexico City, how he favored the revolution and 
He said, why should I go through all this red tape? And he was very unstable and temperamental. And one Cuban official actually told him, you would hurt the revolution more than help it, which didn't help Oswald's mood any. Uh, It was a a tragedy all the way around. It was a tragedy. Ruby supposedly killed Oswald because he didn't want Mrs. Kennedy to have to come back to Dallas to testify at a trial, is what he told police. Everybody with a sense of misplaced loyalties. Wow. But it's a a tragic story. I give the book three stars, and I I give it three because as as one who likes biographies, I would have probably I would have done it differently. I would have written it starting with his birth and leading up to the Soviet Union instead of the way he did it going to the Soviet Union first. I don't know why he did that, but that's the way Mr. Mailer wrote it. I've only read one other book by Norman Mailer and that was The Executioner's Song. I know about Gary Gilmore. I know he wrote a lot of novels like The Naked and the Dead and other books like that. But anyway, it, it goes to show and what it also does any of you who are listening to me or who might read this book, it makes you thankful every day when you get up in the morning if you had a family that cared about you, parents that cared and handled things right. Because who knows, there by the grace of God, who knows what might have happened had you not had. And that's my report on Oswald's tale. You did a great job. Thank you. You know, I had forgotten about his attempt to be part of the revolution in Cuba. I had forgotten all about that. And, uh, and I found is, it... Is Maria still alive? Marina? Yes. She is, okay. was at the time of the book. Yeah, I think she is, yeah. I think so. I feel bad for his two daughters. Can you? I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine the pain <laughs> his two daughters must feel. When people in the town in the, in your town you live in know who you are and who you, I mean it is it's hard to even imagine and they had nothing to do with it of course they were just infants. Good point. But I but I um. Like I didn't I didn't realize um we all know Kennedy I mean Lincoln's assassination was John well Booth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not know his older brother is Edwin Booth, and there's the famous Booth house. Oh, in yes. New- the the whole, fam- it was a famous acting family. Right, and, and there's the famous Booth house in New York where uh, the theaters and the theatrical people hang out at, and it's a very prestigious place to be. I, I didn't know there was such a connection until I was reading about it on Wikipedia. It's interesting that of the, of the three, four presidential assassinations, only Lincoln's was truly proven to be a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Gateau, the man who shot President Garfield, was a disappointed office seeker who did it for his own twisted publicity cause. I mean, he felt he had been wronged. And and Leon Shogosh, the man who killed President McKinley, was an anarchist who didn't believe in any government, whatever. And Oswald was, uh, of course, a, a very misguided uh, person. So, I mean, I mean, I've always, I know a lot of people believe there was a conspiracy and they present arguments about the CIA, but I've always felt like, it's just my opinion. And I, you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong on things before. I mean, um, and you know, if, if someone can come up with something to change my mind, that's really convincing. Great. But I just cannot believe that our government could be so conspiratorial or the mob could be so conspiratorial that all the years after the assassination, someone, somewhere, someone would have talked by now. 
I mean, mm-hmm. really given real information. Excellent point. I mean, and I think the, re- most, the reason most American people don't believe the Warren Report, and Biglio- Vincent Vigliosi wrote a book on the assassination, too, which I might read at some point. He believes it was a lone gunman. And, and I think, and Eric Severide one time said the same thing. He thinks the reason most American people don't want to believe it was a lone gunman is they just can't believe that Camelot could be just, uh, and a, per, a man who symbolized hope in the country could have been destroyed by one malcontent. It just seems too far-fetched in their minds that one malcontent could so alter history. And I, and I was thinking when I was reading about him going, them turning down his request to go to Cuba, or Russia again in 63. Mm-hmm. He granted it how different our country might have been, and he'd just gone to Cuba in 1963, or had they not let him back in the United States? You know, you think that, how yeah. different our country would have been. The what-if game. Yeah, that's always interesting in history. I mean, the, the what-if game is fun, but yet tragic at the same time. But anyway, it goes to show that... Um, it, it, it was a very it was a tragic situation all the way around. Yeah, yeah. So I want to wish you all a wonderful evening. Next week I'll have a John Katzenbach, my second John Katzenbach review for you. He's a good man. He is, and I'm I've really gotten hooked on his stuff. I mean, I, this third one that I've read, I read it within. I'm still on the Churchill book, and it's funny. I know Churchill is more important than any fictional hero, but it's 800 pages, and and and, and the book that I read was with by Katzenbach was like 400. I guess when you read a good story, it's far more interesting sometimes than reading a lot of figures. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, a lot of people don't read any non any nonfiction. I tend to read more nonfiction than fiction, but when I do read a good fiction story, it keeps me hooked. Catherine oh. is good. So you all have a wonderful evening. Um, I, I, by the way, I did. I do have you on the computer, Walden. Now I was able to get it on tonight. So all right, good job, Kim. And Ron and I had a very productive day too. Today too, we down, we downloaded some more interesting things from past daily. I thought uh, you. I thought you guys said you, you ate donuts and had a good time, but you didn't do that. Uh, we uh, we downloaded some more ABC News things, including the show Fred Foy narrated. And uh, we, I even found this interesting, Patricia. You, if you punch in pastdaily.com when you Google it and punch in March 13th, 1948, you're going to find a CBS radio documentary done on March 13th, about 1948, about the whole controversy of a new tax on margarine and oleo that was proposed. Oh, my gosh. Yes, because the butter industry felt that Mark, mm-hmm. they wanted a new tax on oil, and the people that fought for this new tax, I haven't heard the documentary yet, but the, uh, they were interviewing the American people about this issue. Apparently, yeah. the butter industry felt that, oil, that oleo should be taxed, since it wasn't real butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Dairy Association is, and you know, this, as a country... I guess as a world, I won't isolate the United States. We sure can get our knickers in a knot over the funnest stuff. Well, this one, a whole documentary. So, but if you go to pastdaily.com and look up March 1348, listen to mm-hmm. this special report on, or download this special report on the whole oleo controversy. 
Okay. <laughs> and that I will sounds like call fun. later. You have a wonderful evening. You too, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, and thanks for the review. I think yep. the word the word funnest. If Dave is listening, Dave came in Rhode Island. If you are listening, funnest is a good word as well. I, I should have made his teeth hurt on that one. You think they have tax on tushy rolls? <laughs> oh yes, they do. <laughs> do you know they have a tax on a chicken if it's pre-cooked? We've got the craziest sales tax system down here. If I buy a raw chicken, <laughs> it's not taxed because it's basic food. Uh-huh. If I go to Sam's Club and I buy a chicken that has been through their rotisserie, yeah, it's taxed because it's a processed food. Go figure. I mean, a chicken is a chicken is a chicken. A dead chicken is still a dead chicken, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a dead chicken is still a dead chicken. 714-545-2071 is our number. I'd like to give Patricia a call and talk about chicken, toilet paper, uh, <laughs> and <poop>. <laughs> huggies. <laughs> um, and... Um, Stuff like that there. Snow. Oh, do you recall when yes. you and Larry and I were on the phone and we were talking about Cy and Elmer, which was one of the awful shows that Larry played for us? Mm-hmm. I said, you know, there's, there's another somebody who had uh, mail, order, um, mail order detectives, and it was Detectives Black and Blue. And we've done that one already. And we've done that one. But I couldn't think of any. And Larry said, gee, I think it's just Cy and Elmer. You've got it. I said, no, I'm sure we had another one. I'm so sure. And so, it was Detectives Black and Blue. So are we going to do Detective Black and Blue? Are we going to reinvestigate Detective Black and Blue sometime? <laughs> we probably will. I mean, there are some that are so priceless. It, it just, there are enough shows. And let me say, I pick awful shows from programs the programs themselves might be good but eventually you're going to hit a lemon a real bomb and even though the program is good that particular episode might get picked on there are some shows or programs that are just awful from start to finish (laughs) and i cannot ignore them I, i occasionally go back and i'll pick another episode from a program that we've played before um so much to do, so little time. Patricia's looking for your offer show nomination. That's true. You can send them to FloridaWriter at Hotmail.com. Don't forget. You come across, yes, if your ears are assaulted by something that needs more attention as an awful show, by all means, please send it to me. I'll find it. And you want to be put on Patricia's mailing list? You can email her at Florida Hot. <laughs> the hot Florida writer at hotmail.com. No, no, no. It's Florida writer at hotmail.com. Boy, I'm going to goof up that one. Yep. Yabba da da do. Hello there. You're on the air. Sounds like an army of Fred Flintstone. That is true. We're trying to get that down Jeff right. Anyway, this is Mark calling. Hey, Mark. How are you? Hey, Mark. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Patricia? I am doing fine, and thank you for the email swaps this week. Oh, sure. Last week? 
Were you able to yeah. see any of those uh, Winnie the Pooh? Uh, I have. I gotten to, boxes. I gotten. To, I got them. All. I listened to them from start to finish. I'm on. Ah. I'm on episode number four. Oh, okay. So see. I don't know what episode I finished with, or, but I just, I just plugged in and I listened to the whole thing. I always like Tigger, the way they did Tigger before Paul Winchell got a hold of it. That is true. I was not expecting that vocal refrain of Tigger. That was a, that caught me. I wasn't me. expecting those, any of those voices. Like like when he sees the tablecloths, you know, and he thinks, there's something climbing on your table, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then he wrestles with it and he says, have I won? And he says, it tried, but I was too quick for it. <laughs> I always loved that voice. Anyway, I grew up with those records, so. As you could tell by all the pops and and the surf. Yeah. They're, they're, they're worn with tender, loving care. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I thank you so much for rescuing them for us. And then, on top of it, putting it in a single file. That was really nice of you to do that, Mark. Well, it was only you. little files needed to be joined, so it wasn't that Herculean an effort. But I was happy to do it. Wow. Yeah. So, you I, I good, and my uh, ears smiled. Oh, well, I'm glad. Because you asked uh, Patricia to clarify Hotel for Cats a little bit for you, because you hadn't heard yes, of it. Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah, because the, there's only two episodes, evidently, that survive now. But it was a 15-minute show uh, around 55, 56, that in, at least in Los Angeles, it played among all the afternoon soaps. It was just mm-hmm. went in with all the afternoon soaps. And Arthur Anderson and, um, uh, oops, now I can't remember the guy who played Mr. Jolly. Uh, he was a famous character actor. Anyway, it'll it'll come to me. But uh, it was on for about two years. And uh, it was one of my wife's favorite programs because she used to stay home from school when she was a little girl and, and listen to all those things. But uh, I'm intrigued with it because it's a fantasy show. It's a it's a show with talking animals. Arthur Anderson played uh, at least two parts. He played a parrot and a cat. He talks a little bit about it in his two books. So uh, it's just not around. Nobody seems to have it. So I tried to advertise in the uh, in the Spurdback uh, newsletter a radiogram about it, but so far they mm-hmm. haven't run my ad. But one of these days, maybe they will. I wonder where, have you ever written to Jay Hickerson and asked him where he found it? And that way, you know, he doesn't always give the sources where he lists things. And I wonder if he would have any idea what catalog he would have saw it from. That would given us a clue. Well, I don't have that book handy, but my brother does. I could I could get it from him. Yeah. But uh, it's supposedly, and maybe it's Jay Hickerson, maybe it's another book. But it's okay. supposedly listed in there. Yeah, and generally... Jay, I don't know if he ever keeps track of what when he compiles a list where, uh, you know, where he saw it. And that would give us a clue, I think, to, uh-huh. you know. Well, maybe I can find out. Yep. Do, do you know much about the story behind OTR Cat? Just because it's been around a long time, that's about all I really know. I don't know who, I don't know who put it together. It seemed like I remember it since the late 90s. Because um, every once in a while they come, I, I love their uh, sampler discs, you know, where they're just right. a random sample of all kinds of obscure little 15-minute programs and new shows and all kinds of things. They call them the OTR Cat Sampler. 
Huh. And I really enjoy oh, yes, you know, yes, 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 yes. Okay. It's just completely okay. random, you know. And I just got from them a set of interviews, Golden Age of Radio interviews. Ah. You're so good at interviewing, uh, Walden, that you might enjoy hearing some of those. Yeah. I listened to the interview with Miriam Wolf this morning. I don't know who interviewed her or what the date was, but evidently she was, you know, quite a long sure. years by the sure. time they interviewed her. And she said she was uh, her health wasn't sufficient for her to perform anymore. Huh. But it was a terrific interview, and she talked about Alonzo Dean Cole and yep. what an eccentric character he was, and <laughs> like they she would show up sometimes at three o'clock for the casting call. Or you know, just for the rehearsal, and they wouldn't go on till eleven thirty at night. Uh, they broadcast wow. eleven thirty in New York, and uh, here was uh, Alonzo Dean Cole showing up, <laughs> sometimes right on the dot at eleven thirty. He's still writing the show. <laughs> <laughs> here they are performing the thing, and he's feeding them lines. <laughs> I I I get Paul Weimer of Vic and Say with Nona to do the same thing. <laughs> so Vic and Say, they then they wound up to. 15-minute show, they wind up to two, two pages short, he would be typing and handing them pages while they were on the air to try, and, you know, the Vic, Sade, and Rush would not know how idea they were going to wrap up the show, but he kept, <laughs> kept filling them pages as he was typing them up. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite Vic and Sade line is when they're sitting on the back porch chuckling their evil chuckles. You, you Maybe you remember that episode. They're just practicing evil chuckles just for the heck of it. Oh, you know, uh, Rush and, and his friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Sade is just saying, okay, you know, that's enough chuckling, <laughs> your evil chuckles. Now come in here and help me with the dishes or sure. something like that. Yeah. I thought that was w- w- really wonderful. But, uh, let me see, what else was I going to talk about? Now I've, I've, I'm running out of it. Oh, yes, I wanted to ask about the OTR cat seems to have an interesting relationship maybe with Jerry Hendiga's collection in that usually, say, I just got their disc of Grand Central Station. Okay. And it's got all the same episodes that Jerry has. So I'm wondering if maybe the the guy that or, or the lady who runs OTR Cat maybe buys shows. Could be. Gets them from Jerry and then puts them out on these discs. Could be, because a lot of times Jerry... It showed the original source for so much stuff, and then people uh, buy some, yeah. you know, and yeah. then put them out. This is from memory, and you have to trust that my memory is not always trustful. Okay. But from memory, the guy who started OTR Cat um, Company, or OTRCat.com, where you can buy um, a lot of uh, radio shows, he also did a, a really good job of putting together information about individuals who played characters or about individual shows. I mean, not everything is 100% spot on, but it was really well done. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that he died about four or five years ago and that his wife has taken over the business. Wow. But, um, I've never heard that's that. That's as much as I know. That's very interesting. And, we st- and nobody knows his name exactly, The the cat, the really? OTR cat. <laughs> oh. It, well, then, do you remember? It was announced in Radio Digest. I don't recall. And it was quite a while ago. Hmm. Well, hmm. It, I guess we'll know when, when it's time. <laughs> yes. 
when the radio gods tell us. Yeah, true. Then we'll know. Yeah, true. <laughs> but you know, it's it's amazing. I was looking uh, last night. Jerry Hinnegan just got done transferring another 312 more transcriptions, and put them. Oh. He put up the labels, and it's just fun walking through. Um, what's being transferred? I mean, I was seeing in the races from the in the mid fifties. It was just incredible what they'll keep coming out and any particular titles or no, just just a bunch of series, you know, uh, I, nothing earth shattering. But it's just you know, I saw some Lone Rangers and I saw some Sergeant Preston's and all you know things like that into command performance. But it just struck me that. Here are a series that I've never heard of that he's finding and puts them up there. So it's always fun to just browse through the labels a part of his library. Yeah, just, Jerry's a magical guy. Yeah. Do, do you uh, often visit him? Uh-huh. I am. He's in charge of transferring Frank Brzee's stuff. Ah. So he is he unearthing reels upon reels upon reels. I mean, I yeah. Well, it, was, it took me seventeen, almost seventeen moving vans to move all the stuff out of Frank's house. Holy smoke! Yeah, so but Jer- like sixteen inch. A lot of it was six. The there was uh, well, eight thousand sixteen inch, and then boxes and boxes of reels. Frank lost twenty thousand. No, I think yeah, I think it was twenty thousand transcriptions in the midst of two floods. When he was in Europe in the sixties, uh. In the basement, there was a flood, mm-hmm. and his mom and, and his mom and dad didn't know quite what to do. So he, you know, Frank went around. He would have probably had him stand and have him dried out. So they didn't know how to actually save twenty thousand of them. And so, who knows what we lost? And I keep yeah te- teasing Frank. He used to go up to Big Bear, and he said they make really good sweats. <laughs> He would take he would take questions and slide down the hill, uh, and, and I keep I keep teasing him. Well, that's what happened to I Love a Mystery. You just slow down the Big Bear with the with those transcriptions, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's probably what happened. Yeah. And also, I'm sure well, a lot of 30s radio probably uh, died in the service of World War II. You Most know, likely, ride, yeah. All that kind of stuff. It's amazing how much glass dish. Survived. Uh, older, uh... And there's a few aluminum mm-hmm. discs too. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of Joe Penner shows that were done on uh, aluminum discs. I was amazing how how heavy some of these things are. Everybody, they're like holy cat. I would say a quarter of an inch thick at some of these things. Yeah, I I was handling in the Spurvac building. They're just enormous amount of. Uh, weight involved. Uh-huh. It's just incredible. Do you try to carry them yourself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. All so, right. you know, we're, we're, we're boxing them and putting them in boxes, and, you know, that's what we wind up doing. So it took two, two and a half years to do it. <laughs> yeah. What an effort. That's wonderful. Yep. That's why we sort of know what direction we're going to preserve and get out for everybody. Yeah. So... Oh, you know, your 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 previous guy was talking about uh, old jingles. Yes. You know, uh, historic jingles and things. Do you remember the Handy Andy jingle? It was a detergent. 
Okay, can you can you, can you sing it for us or give us a, a give us a? I can try and sing. I'm not right. as good a singer as your uh, drum roll. Uh, all right. Yes, but I can try a little okay. bit of it. All right, all right, Mark. Remember, this is this is a detergent. Okay. It's uh, let me see. Liquid handy andy out cleans them all, cleans anything anywhere, yet won't scratch dull or wear. Handy andy, you're my boy. Wow, good job, Mark. You don't, re oh, you don't remember that product? I don't. <laughs> no, never heard of it. Radio That's and TV good. single back in 53, 54. Maybe it, it was a... Candy. Okay, now I have to see if That's where I came. it fits in with our poop theme. It, 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 <laughs> it's interesting, you know, occasionally we're hearing on the station, Mr. Clean. Yes. And get rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will clean your whole house and everything that's in it. Very good. That was sung. That was sung by Don Cherry, who had a number one song, uh, you know, gold, ring, uh, ring, ring of gold around your finger. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he will end up being, besides his singing career, a professional golfer. So he had two careers in one, but. I imagine he made a few dollars off Mr. Clean <laughs> over the years, you know? Now they need to do a new jingle for Magic Eraser. You know, because uh, Mr. Clean's newest ring. Oh, okay. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. This is all the dirt, you know, Magic Eraser. Mm-hmm. Well, you will be so happy to know that Handy Andy is available it, up. <laughs> it is still a Unilever product, okay. and you can go to South Africa and buy it. <laughs> now, let's see what we have here on it. But it's not available in the United States anymore. You probably go to, like it. you probably can order online, probably. <laughs> oh, now here I never seem to look these things up, but that's, that's an interesting thing. And, and it's right on top of detergent poisoning. And the symptoms of detergent poisoning. Jeez. But anyway, you can buy it if you go to South Africa. Okay. I'll be on the next plane. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably ship it. Ship it. It might be cheaper. You know, just order it online and mm -hmm. have it drop ship it the next day. Yeah, there there oh, may great. have been a jingle for uh, Bonami, but now I can't remember what it was anymore. With You know, with the little chick that says, hasn't scratched yet. I think there was probably a singing thing. <laughs> that's cute. Okay, that's one I wish I had written. I'm not sure about Handy Handy, but... <laughs> I'm sure nobody gets residuals on that one anymore. No, no, that's true. That's well, anyway, if there's, if there's any more old children's records or anything you want, let me know, because I've got a whole box full. Well, ever since I was a kid. Well, you know, if you think there's something else that would be fun for us to enjoy, go at it, Mark. I, I, it's great to hear them. So, something you pop up to, to your ears. Um, Maybe um, I, I could just put a couple at random yeah. in the Dropbox and see if you care for them. That'd be fine. Oh, that would be fun. Thank you. Oh, did, did you like Arnold Stang as the rabbit? Did you hear that? I didn't, the... I didn't recognize did that was know? him. Wasn't that a, a, a I came, interesting I did, for him? I came away oh. thinking, you know, that sounded just like Arnold Stan. Wow. But it was he, he was trying to do a, a different character. Yeah. As Rabbit, it was pretty good. I was trying to figure out the the female on on Tanga. I, I that voice sounds so familiar to me. You know, uh, mm -hmm. 
and I almost like a radio voice. And I have mm-hmm. I, I have, printed out the the credit and sent it uh, to Patricia. Okay. I don't know if you saw it. I haven't seen the credits yet. Okay. What so, did I do with the credits? I know you did it. Where did I? I got them? I got them right. Around. I'm sitting at the computer, so I can, I can get them pretty quick. Okay. Would, Let me. Yeah. Would you do it again? Yeah, I could send it to you again, but I, I, if I can just bring them up here, I sure you can read them out. Them sure. If 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 they're here. This is Yesterday USA, where we're talking about Winnie the Pooh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> he must do it was good. He that. he must have done that for scale. He must have done because he just loved the property. I I can't. But he was so good. Uh, it was, he, he was, really had a good time with it. Oh yeah. I don't know how many we really did, but that's one of the best ones I've heard. Okay, it's not under W. Now I'm going to have to look it up. Forget uh, uh, how I filed it. What, what's funny to me, <laughs> it, you know, it's how they mention it at the end of the record. Now turn the book upside down. Yeah, right? and, and they were literally printed that way. So you would have to flip the book over to read the other side. The um, other, each, each story was two records. Okay. And then you just flipped it over. Yeah, it was it was real cute the way it was designed, and the drawings were good. Yeah, you know it was nice. Yeah, and then of course, Winnie Winnie the Pooh had his whatever shaking his head or whatever that what you knew to turn the page or he would all. Yeah. I know it got it got really annoying after a while, but because <laughs> kids are tapped into the rhythmic and repeat sounds, mm-hmm. it probably was just something wonderful for them. Probably As was. Grown up, it, it started grading on me. I think I'm grown up. Am I grown up? You you still you still got a little girl's heart in you. <laughs> I'm putting on a good show. <laughs> I are a grown up. Okay, I, I'm cheating. I I got the actual album. <laughs> All right, oh, hey, that's better. That's better enough. I couldn't find. I think I wiped out the computer file of it. Okay, I got him right. Oh, Mark, Mark it, it just takes a minute to rescan this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, oh, I got him right here. Uh, okay. Tanga was Betty Jane Tyler. Oh, now she was. Um. Oh, I know what. She did a lot of radio. I'm, That's a very familiar name. Yeah. Yeah, I think she also did some singing too. Um. Okay, Betty. Who are some of the other characters? The voices. Let me see here. Well. Of, well, of course, Cecil Roy is Pooh. Right. And Piglet was Madeline Pierce. I don't know. Oh, Madeline. She you the, know her? Yes. She was the one that did a lot of the little girl voices, a little kid voices in New York. Oh, yeah. Okay. And Eeyore is Meryl Joel's. That's a new one. Okay. He, he's got an interesting sound. Okay, yep. And Owl was Frank Milano. Very... Rhythmic, okay. And he he did a lot of good uh, trilling hoots <laughs> <laughs> as owl. Let me see who else is here. Of course, Rabbit is Arnold Stang. Yeah. And uh, oh, Christopher Robin was Sandy Fossil. I've heard that that name a million. Yes, uh, that one. If you remember, she specialized in little little boy voices, especially on I Love a Mystery. Oh, of course, Tem- that's right. Tem- Temple of Vampires and things like that. I remember an I Love a Mystery yeah. where he was uh, interacting with... Um, Mercedes McCambridge. See, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he was sort of the, the sidekick of Mer- uh, Mercedes McCambridge right. in at least one storyline. Right. Fantastic, Walden. 
I don't think there's anybody who knows these credits better than you. <laughs> Wonderful. I can fake them out, Mark. I agree. I can fake them out. You know, you know, if I if I made a mistake, they're gonna catch me anyway. What can I say? <laughs> you know, if you make a mistake, we're not gonna know it. That's somebody out there. Somebody will know it. Larry will get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, anyway. Have a great rest of the evening. Thank you, Mark, for... Well, thank you, Mark, and thank you so much for poo and piglet and, and stuff like that there. Very happy to do it. That's great. You enjoy. We will. We'll talk Thanks. to you soon. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Poo. P- Patricia hey. has poo quotes. We'll get to know some night. poo quotes. Would you like some poo quotes? I'd like to have some poo quotes. Oh, let me find my poo quotes. Hold on. See? If you like it, <laughs> give us a call. Or some... Keeping with... Pooh. It's spelled definitely. I missed the 18th. It was Winnie the Pooh Day. Did I talk about that? No. No. We can honor Winnie the Pooh Day today. Oh. Okay. I will find Pooh. Winnie the Pooh quotes. Okay. Hello, Carl. Are you a Pooh fan? Hello. Hello there. Hello. (coughs) Yes, this is Russ Stevens. Let me turn down something over here. Okay, I'll... I'll turn you down and let you get that taken care of for a second. Patricia's looking for Winnie the Pooh. I got Pooh. She got Pooh. All right, Rice, are you back? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, Uh Uh-oh, let me turn it down. You still got the thing on the background. Okay, I turned it off. Okay, good. Oh, one thing I was going to tell you, Mm -hmm. uh, called in and tell you about... uh, there was a guy, I've got it on a tape, he was a specialist that went around the country building outhouses. <laughs> and, and, and the chick sales joke book. Anyways, uh, you talk um, um, about, <laughs> about uh, toilet paper, um, they said, he said, you should never have to worry as long as Sears Roebuck keeps it going. Ah, oh, very mm-hmm. good. And I said, uh, somebody asked him, he said, what is the life of this here book? He said, time and trouble I have took. <laughs> new by, The new book's out in January. Let's say you get it on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. You should reach the harness section somewhere around the 1st of May. <laughs> Um, let me tell you something else. You know, paper is in weights. I went over to a, a place in Houston called Clark and Courts, uh, oh, where they sold office supplies and stuff. And mm-hmm. I got a three-wheel um, deal, um, punch-to-punch, uh, uh, you know, Braille paper where I could put it in a notebook. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I asked the guy, I told him I needed Braille paper. And he said, well, let's go back and look, and we'll figure out what you need. So we finally figured it out. A ream of Braille paper, which is five, 500 sheets, I wanted it cut uh, 11 and a half by, uh, no, let's see. 11 yeah. by 8, or whatever that was, the small one? Um, let's see, 8 and a half by 11. Okay. So, uh so it was a 24-pound bond is the weight of 
braille paper. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you ever knew that or not. Nope. I just I just remember ordering by pounds. You know, when I call the order bill paper, I say, give me five pounds or 20 pounds. Or... Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I've still got a whole bunch. I ordered a, a ream of Braille paper several years ago, and I've still got most of it left. Oh, by the way, I've got a special deal. You know about Heloise? I, I know the name. I don't think I know more than, anything more than that. So tell me what you know. Are you talking about the helpful hint person? The, uh, helpful, the what now? The helpful hint person, L.E.? Yes, okay. When I was living in San Antonio, I called in on, oh, it's Christmas Eve show, uh, Alan Dale on K-I-T-E. I talked, and me and my wife, uh, my wife was blind also. We told what we did. So, Heloise's mother uh, said that if the guy would call back, uh, that she would order me a, a Perkins brailer. Wow. Which, so she ordered the Perkins Brailler, and Allendale brought it out to me. Of course, later on, I found a case to keep it in. But on the front of uh, my Brailler was written, as written, with love from Heloise. It's interesting. I don't know if Patricia knows a little bit about the ba- background. Patricia, the Perkins Brailler, in the old days, used to take over a year to get one. One to put an Ooh. order in. And basically, the story went, uh, with one guy, I don't know if he owned the company, I think he owned the company, who was buying, he personally tested each Braille writer before they ever shipped it out. Well, I know, uh, you could buy them back in the 50s, uh, there weren't no problem. I, first, uh, they first sold for about $53, originally. You know how much they are now? Uh, and... A friend of mine bought one, oh, a little later, he paid $90. But now, do you know those things sell for over $700? Yep, yep. And they're pretty much made out of steel, Patricia. Do I now? They're pretty much made out of steel. I mean, there's really heavy-grade metal that's uh-huh. built in these things. Yep. This is not something like a portable iPhone. You don't, you don't want to drop this on your foot. How, no. how much do they weigh, Walden? Because well, I know, I remember a long yeah. time ago hearing from you that you had dropped it and you had to send it out for repairs. Yeah, I, I don't, I would say, Russ, what do you think, 20 pounds? What do you think the weight is? I would say at least uh, 20. Uh, maybe 10 or something. You know? i got a friend here and lives in the metro, uh, Fort Worth, that repairs those uh, uh, Perkins Brailers. I sent mine back to the Howie School of the Blind. It almost took six months before it ever come back. Well, I sent mine over to Wayne Harris in, uh, in Fort Worth. He went and learned how to fix all those things. and Oh, he uh, cleaned mine up, mowed mm-hmm. it, and did whatever needed done for it. And he only charged me about $20 to fix it. He said, of course, uh, if I fix it for the commission or something like that, I'll charge them a whole lot more. <laughs> Well, it's nice to have friends, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He and I are pretty good friends. Yeah. We're both ham radio operators. Sure. Um, there was something, some trivia question. Oh, I know what. I don't, somebody told me who wrote it, but I know the music was written, but, you know, 
who wrote the hymn uh, "Onward, Christian Soldiers." Right. Um, I think it was a woman during the Civil War, and I'm trying to think of her name. No, you're thinking of uh, uh, the Battle Hymn of the Battle Republic. Hymn of the Republic. That's right. Uh, that um, was. Uh, let's see, what was her name? What was her name? She was. She was in the Civil. She was. She wrote during the Civil War. Uh, I can't think of it right yeah. offhand. But in, the music of Onward, Christian Soldiers. I found out it was written by Gilbert and Sullivan. Really? And then I found out, you look it up on Google, the words was written by somebody by the name of Golden or something like that. Oh. Um, I'm trying to think um, if there's any more trivia questions I could ask you. Just reminding everybody, tomorrow Ed Crute will be with us, the famous blind piano player from New York. So she have a music request. Call in tomorrow, and he'll play it on the, on the piano for us. Okay. Hey, y'all were going to play that uh, uh, Christmas show, and you never did about... No, never gotten to it yet. But still, we're, we're, gonna, we're into low ranger season, so I'll okay. definitely, I, I can definitely start looking for it. We're definitely going to put, put in some low ranger material. Uh, this uh, the Christmas show about... A couple in the stable. Right, I I I heard the fir- I heard that the first time here a couple of weeks ago. So it's a good show. Yeah, um, well, I know Ronnie Millsap uh, has a copy of it. He he's played it once or right. twice when he's called in on, uh, you know, when he's done his shows on sure. uh, Yesterday USA. Sure. I think it's from 47 or 48 or so around Christmas yeah. time. Oh, I found that. And, it, you know, Bill Bragg's talking about uh, Live 365 going away uh, and yep. all that kind yep. of stuff. Uh-huh. There's an easy way now to to get uh, Yesterday USA. And? Well, what you do, you uh, arrow down to the program you want. You hit enter on that. And then you... Uh, Hit Alt N and that'll open. That's right. It'll open the browser and you can listen to the show. That's how I'm doing it. Yes. I Good. just found that out the other night uh, here yep, uh, it, yesterday, it, or I think it was. It's, our, it's the way the it's radio dot co operating now, so it, it's it's pretty nice. So Alt O if you're blind, and that opens up the window too. Um. Yeah. Um. Well, no, it isn't Alt O. It's Alt N. That's one way to do it, but I also could do Alt O and it opens it up. Really? Uh huh. I've done it that I, way. I didn't know you could do it Alt O. Yep. Hmm. So generally, if I do Alt N and I click to OK, I've done it that way too. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Well, uh, on fair you can hear you uh, open a lot of those shows by sure. doing Alt N. I don't know whether you ever heard of that site or not. Yep. Yeah. The whole thing about him, he got on a lot of them old. Stupid Dracula shows. Why does he want all that? <laughs> we won't mention that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you ever get on For the People's uh, website? I've never, I've never been there. Huh? I have never been there. For the People? Is it ForThePeople.com? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been on there. I used to be on there. I go okay. on there quite a bit. It's pretty good. Good recommendation, okay. Nice people. Good. Uh, anyway, 
any trivia. Well, when am, I, when am I supposed to get my stuff? Well, Patricia's on a work... When it gets in the mail. Patricia's on a working deadline right now, so everybody's on hold until Patricia got... Paying, Patricia's been at work on a few deadlines, so once the deadlines are done... you to know I've got your CDs ready. They just haven't been put in an envelope yet. Because she's been okay. gone... She's been away from home the last four out of five weeks, so... Oh. So, running to the post office, you know, they don't always have post office in Florida. You have to go look for them, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> huh. That's true. Uh. How did you know that? Hey, I make them up, and it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You, hey, do you know they have a like Braille? <laughs> do you know they have a Braille mirror? They do? Yeah. Um. What? Uh, this is a joke. <laughs> well, I got a magazine called The Braille Mirror. Oh! Oh, oh. oh. All right. I thought you were spoofing me again. <laughs> I fall for everything. Do what now? I fall for everything. She, she, she thought you were talking about a real mirror that the side people look at. <laughs> I know. I figured I'd put... Yeah, you got, you got us. You did. You got us. Okay. Uh, any so trivia trusting, you want to ask know? me? A trivia. Okay, give give me a Sam Spade license number. A what? Give me Sam Spade license number. Oh, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I mean, he was, he was asking for the big trivia. That's a good one. Oh, I'm sure it is, but I don't know that. You don't know that. Okay. All right. Um, why Why did... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your turn. Why did... How, how did they settle on the name Richard Diamond? Oh, Richard. I'm not sure. Hey, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Am I hot tonight, Patricia? Huh? You are so hot. Okay. I guess because it's a, de a detective, I suppose. Yeah, there's a detective angle to it. Yep. Yeah, I've listened to quite a few of those shows. They're pretty good. Yeah, they are good. Yep. And by the way, yeah. there's 22 more shopping days till my birthday. Oh. Uh... I know you're going to... So we have to hurry up. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're going to get me the same thing <laughs> you me last year. <laughs> You're well, funny. Oh, that's good. Okay. But, All right, uh, so what about Richard Diamond? Tell me, uh, tell me. You want to know? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a play on words, because when they start thinking about Great Detective, they thought, hmm, there's Sam Spade. Yeah. Why not Richard Diamond? Oh, yeah. That's how they, came, that's how they created the name. So now we need a club and a heart. Uh-huh. Oh, 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 okay, all right. We can have Walden Club and Patricia Hart. Hey, Patricia Hart. Oh, okay, that sounds all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. Oh. I think my hair hurts. All right, what, 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 is, what is Helen Asher's butler's name? I don't know. I've never heard of him. Okay. We're doing good tonight, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yep. Is it, is it Frank? Uh, oh, you're close, uh, Patricia. Uh, Francis. Francis, very good. 
Which oh, um, choice of cooking with gas? What was the name of Little Beaver's horse? Papoose. Papoose. Yeah, okay, you got that one. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm good on horses now. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, who with the whistle on on the theme song of Little of Red Rider? I don't know. It's a trick question. If it's the announcer, Art Gilmore, he got two paychecks to announce and to whistle. Okay, uh, what is the what is the music they play on uh, uh, Sergeant Preston of the UK? Oh yeah, I've heard it. Oh, I Dana, Diana, or something like that. Something or, like that. Dana, Dana, Diana, right? Diana, 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 Diana. Diana. Yeah, All right, what about Lone Ranger? What is it? What is it, Russ? Huh? What is it? Uh, uh, William Taylor Overture. No, that's a Lone Ranger. Yep. What about Sergeant Preston? Sergeant uh, Preston is a different one. Oh, that's uh, uh, Overture to Diana. Bob or Diana. I think See, there's. I, was close, I think I think it's a, I think there's something missing in there, and the essential thing I heard Bob Wine play the whole thing, and uh-huh. the, and the piece that were familiar it's like midway in the piece. It's not like the beginning or anything. It's a it's an interesting <laughs> part where they picked it up. Okay, all right. Donna Diana. It's the overture to Donna Diana. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I knew it was something like that. Something like that. According to Wikipedia. I don't know that. Wiki did. <laughs> okay. You know, in the Catholic what? Church, they don't play the music uh, from the Mendelssohn Midsummer Night Dream because it's a fairy tale opera. And Here Comes the Bride, they don't play that one because it's from uh, uh, all the. Mm, what do they call it? Ah, uh, Anyway, um, it's kind of, it's a risque deal. Anyway, huh. uh, that's the reason the Catholic Church don't play those uh, uh, wedding marches. Um, there is a. Uh, but anyway, this this Friday, everybody, we're going to be honoring the Green Hornet. Oh, it's turning yeah. eighty years old. Oh, yeah, and Martin cool. Graham got a very interesting recording. Really. Um. He had a record that was sent out to radio station in 1942 where they introduced the different characters and he actually talked about the different characters yeah. on the Green Hornet. And we'll be featuring that this Friday. Uh, so, wasn't the Green Hornet... Uh, Reed, uh, what's he, Reed uh, wasn't he the son of Dan Reed? You uh, got it. Huh? You have it correct. Uh, which was uh, the Lone Ranger's nephew. Very good. That's what I thought. Very good. Brent Reed, I believe, yeah. Brent Reed. Yeah, he was the son of Dan Reed. Mm-hmm. Very good. I think the Lone Ranger was, uh, before he be, uh, became a ranger, uh, well, he didn't get the silver mine until later, you know, before his brother was killed. But from what I understand, that he was a lawyer. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll have to look it up sometime. Well, Martin Graham's working on the book, on a four-part four part book, so we'll figure out sooner than later. So. Well, that's what I'd heard anyway. All right, thanks for giving us a call. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. 
Okay, you take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Anyway. Are we having fun? We are. I think so, too. We have different, interesting opinion. Some are correct, <laughs> some are not. You know. <laughs> some are good, some are bad. Yep. Some are, you know. Just stuff. Stuff. And I've got my Winnie the Pooh quotes, but I hear the phone ringing. I hear the ring of the bell. Are you a are you a Pooh fan? Uh, hey, I, hey, hello there, kid. Hello, Ron. Are you a Pooh? Hey. Are you a Pooh Bear fan? You know, I I like those Jimmy Stewart records. It's fun. It's fun. Patricia and I, Patricia and I heard it for the first time this week, and I had a great time. I've had them for a long time. I I love Jimmy Stewart. He's one of my favorite personalities. You know. I I agree. I agree. Um, so anyhow, how are things out there? And I got two boxes today. Where did they come from? <laughs> Not for me. They, are they coming from California? Yes. Uh, don't it's worry. It don't. Oh yeah. Well, mom's in a hurry doing itty bitty small stuff for you right now. I'm innocent. Ron, was I supposed to put? I know I was supposed to put something in your drop box. Did I do it? And if not, what was it? Uh, <laughs> however, speaking of Dropbox, young lady. Uh oh. I put something in your in our Dropbox that you need to look at. Oh. Uh, all right. Before I go to the other computer, which is where you are. Yes. Please tell me what I was supposed to send, and did I do it? I don't remember. <laughs> Every, okay, okay, everybody, okay. Uh, listen to the replay of the Blue Network this Wednesday to find out what Patricia is supposed to give to Ron. Ron can't remember. You can give it. You can email Patricia and say, "Did." Snow <laughs> 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 does strange things to people, you know. You know, we have we have Dan who listens with eagle ears to the replay, so we have a faithful listening audience to the replay. Oh my gosh! And after all. If you think it's Christmas time on Yesterday USA, you are correct. Because right now, um, Larry Gassman is working on Tuesday night, Christmas, Tuesday night of Christmas week. So that is the companion show for Wednesday. You'll have the full replay of Patricia Walden. And then she is starting to dig through all the holiday stuff. So you're going to hear Patricia doing Christmas trivia questions into April or May. Just in time, for, <laughs> just in time for just Christmas. Just in time for the confusion of transferring the station broadcast system. Uh, good grief! Oh, what we do to our family. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember. That's actually that sounds like a great title of a show. I can't remember. I can't remember. And I didn't forget because I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> Actually, it's true. But I'm so sure I did it. I'm positive. Actually, um, it was a great story that I can't remember. I had a uh, a relative was working on a post doctorate uh, at the school I went to, and he ran into his college professor, his uh, faculty advisor, and they met on the middle of campus, and they got they got sidetracked at talking. And his advisor said, what direction was I walking? <laughs> and he said, this way. And and his answer was, oh, good. That means I had lunch. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm 
person after my own heart. Yeah. This is good. See, I walk out, I, and sometimes in the kitchen, I count things uh-huh. and say, okay, I already ate that. <laughs> well, did you, did, you, did you put a note on your computer about what you were supposed to send me? I think I sent it. You know, I think I think the last time she was with us and we you made I think she did it during the show. That's right. I oh, think, thank you. No wonder I didn't have to remember it. Yeah, I, I think it off my I, memory list. I, I think he did it in the show. He might have. I can't remember. I I, I remember. But I, I remember with music. I think it was music. Um, around nineteen seventeen. Oh, 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 it was, and and it was those. Uh, it was those uh, nineteen. The nineteen sixteen seventeen songs. Right. I think that's the last. And I did tell you that. She took. And, and I did do it, right? Yes, you did. She, she, you oh. know, I wasn't the one. Oh. I wasn't a member of Thank the party. I wasn't a member of the first party to the second party because I'm the third party, <laughs> and it took the third party to remember what the hey. first party did for the second party. So that. And by golly, did we have a great party! Woohoo! Oh. Uh, Thank you, Walden. I, I did something. You did good, adorable. What let's can I say? What, let's, oh, hold it. Yeah. Let's talk about what you need to take out of the Dropbox. Okay. You need to go look. I did. I, did you just find it? I found it. Okay. Can you use it? Yes, I can. It good. automatically hops over to iTunes, another one that does that, which is very peculiar. It doesn't matter because I can hear it. The show plays, but it, it comes through iTunes. I don't know how this this is Winamp, so I don't know how it's going to come through. I don't have Winamp. She has iTunes. Oh. She's the iTunes kid. I mean, that's a separate program. It's not even an application. It's a program. But you're hearing things through it. <laughs> yes, I'm hearing things, Walden. <laughs> My. <laughs> yes. I'm hearing things. Uh, by the way, it might work anyhow. What was, what was that? Say goodbye. Driving, they might work anyhow. Yeah, it probably does. Everything works. Yeah, I, I did, I just clicked them. It, 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 I went to the other computer and I grabbed them. And it worked. And I clicked on them and they work. Good. And that, that's when I said it automatically hops over to iTunes again. I click on the links that you sent, oh. and I can hear the show, but it's through iTunes. Oh, my. That's interesting. I know. Go figure. I think that's... Who cares, that... as long as I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know... If... Who cares? That's that's a, that should be a title of a new song. Who cares? No, I don't. I didn't know if you had shortcuts for that or those or not, but those are really nice shortcuts. Well, I, I really appreciate them because... Clearly, I'm the kind of person who's going to need shortcuts. Well, you got them now. A one Thank and a two. You're welcome anytime. And you You're a that. good guy, you know? I try. I try. Hey, really. did, he, did Ron go to good guy school or not, huh? I must. I'll bet well, he did. Did he, pass through, did he pass with flying colors to good guy school, Ron? I'd like to think I have. <laughs> I did. We need, a, we need a reference on that, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jackie wouldn't marry him if he didn't, if he wasn't a good guy, right? I would think so. Yeah, He's I would. Got discriminating taste. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he 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 has to renew his contract every five years, right? Is that generally <laughs> how it works, right? 
Have she picked up your option yet, Ron? Are you are you still uh, good? No, but I think it's getting about due. Yeah, I mean, what have you done for her lately, Ron? I mean, you better make sure she picks up your option. Well, I... You know? I, I got her a desk for a computer, and I... That's very romantic, Ron. A desk for the computer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but... It's like I had a friend, a very good friend, who uh, wanted a drill real bad. He wanted to get a drill, you know? Mm-hmm. He bought a drill for his wife for Christmas. <laughs> guys during the gift giving time they don't necessarily realize a drill can always work you know that's it but but now look here look at it this way yeah she needed she had uh, a little rickety kind of table that we had her computer on yeah and i i was afraid it was going to give out so we got a desk for her. did you sign it uh to jackie with okay. love something you wanted, so you got it for her, so you could have it back. No, no, no. Well, I think I, 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 I think you should have had a mammogram or something, you know, to jack you with love. And uh, I already had one and um, a chair, and so I got we got a, a desk and a chair for her. Did he get Did he get a matching set? No, they're not. They don't match. Oh, oh, okay. Are they color coordinated? Are they color coordinated? It's like his and her death. I'm just starting back here. Hey, you know, it, 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 King, good team. Well, if you can be Nathan and the other one, if they King did a preemptive strike last on his show last Friday when John Roy got doing blind joke, he said, "I just want to remind my audience these are three blind people who are telling these blind jokes." So you. Just wanted to make sure the uh, the PC crowd well, wasn't. Remember, he opened, oh, thing up, opened the thing up by talking about the three blind mice. I know, the three blind mice. He started to sing the song, so we just, yeah, he did. you know, he did. what can I say? He did. It was good. Very good. Mhm. Patricia, aren't you gonna comment? I'm here. Aren't you gonna I'm comment? Listening. Aren't you I'm gonna just sitting back and listening? Right, she's getting a cup of coffee, everybody. No, I got it already. Okay. There you go. What kind? Yeah, I sneaked out. He didn't even. I okay. mean, I bring my phone with me, so I sound like I'm. Yeah, you're with it. You're with it. Now, okay. What kind? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We had, we haven't discussed the coffee thing this week. Well, we know that it's not McElroy. We're pretty sure. <laughs> we know that. Oh yeah. We know that. We know that. We're not sure. We know that. So we so. Know that. So what what, no, no. what 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 do we have a report on the coffee front this week, my dear? It's in the box. Okay. I threatened the other one. It's just having a nervous attack. Uh huh. Um, if I try to run it any less, let's see, it needs about ten hours in between pots to work, but it takes me about ten hours to work my way through a pot, so we're fine. And then if it refuses to come on ever again, then I will get out my new pot. Well, take it on to some of your other stuff. You know, some stuff you held on to for a couple of years. I know. This is one of them. We're still waiting for it to get Skype. 
Yes, I, I know. Is she promised to do it. I can t- hear you. <laughs> I didn't think you could. I didn't think you could. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I th- who, who is this? I think Where am I? I I think by the end of the year we'll have we'll we'll have Skype up and running for her. What? Oh mother Cree. I have faith. What? I know. You're so good. I have faith. <laughs> you are so good. You know? Faithful? Wait. True and true. My faithful companion. Who had a faithful companion? Was that Tonto? That was Tonto. Okay. I'll be your Tonto. So I heard uh Walden I heard Jim tell you that uh that when we were visiting on Skype tonight, we I went and downloaded a few more things from from over there. Yeah, but I would I I think it'd been more fun just eating donuts rather than downloading from PackDaily.com, dot com. But you know, I don't know. Okay. Do I know what you're talking about? They they no. this new site that we can keep talking about PackDaily.com, yeah. where they. And so Ron is doing the dirty work. He's downloading. He's putting all the time and effort to download the stuff. He's doing the grunt work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and eventually, if 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 if, 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 if. that that's a big word. That's it's spelled with two letters. Very, it, it is a very big word. In this yeah. I f. If if Jim ever gets a Dropbox, then I'll then I'll send the stuff to him. Where were, who who was the guy who wrote the um Kipling? Wasn't Kipling that wrote the poem on if? If I, Patricia, oh, was it Kipling what? that wrote that wrote the poem about if? If? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I are stupid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You you you're the most brightest bunny rabbit in the whole wide world. I'm the what bunny rabbit? The brightest. Bunty rabbit. The, the, more, the most disbridest will really give Dave something to <laughs> get <upset> Kipling. <laughs> yes. Kipling. I think Kipling wrote if. Dave, Dave if you're listening. Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. Let's see what we've got with Rudyard Kipling. And while Sounds like a bird. Rudyard Kipling. Rudyard Kipling. Well, well, while she's doing that, Dave, if you're listening, you need to spank these guys. <laughs> Why? I mean, yeah. I mean, where else could he find a comedy routine by uh, burning John Larry with Patricia <laughs> Walden? Yeah. You know? Roger Kipling. Let's see. I did, I did thoroughly enjoy that the other night. You did? I'm I, glad. I, I enjoyed Ira last night. That was a great listen. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you oh, did. That was good. That was good. And Kurt will be tomorrow. So we'll get to hear. Get to, I, I'm sure I haven't played nothing but snow songs. I think people. You think the family would forgive me? I say, give me one hour of snow songs. Well, I tell you, Walden, it depends on what part of the family you're 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 uh, talking about. Yeah, so true. There are some of those people that aren't gonna that aren't gonna appreciate snow. Yeah, right but now. yeah, but if they have a sense of humor, <laughs> if they had a sense of humor, I mean, and if they don't, if they don't, you're gonna hear from them. <laughs> You will hear from them. Yeah, and any you cor- will hear from them. Any correspondence will be sent to FloridaWriter at Hotmail.com. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait a minute. You have your street address and my email address. Yeah, all the oh, by the way, uh, our weather here today was, we were in the 30s today, so what little snow we had was melting some today. We never much. Sound like summer. Well, yeah, it's pretty mild for this time of year for us. And, and um, we had... Uh, 
At least, you're, at least your first door did get blown in, you know? That's not bad. Yeah. I think last week sometime, I don't remember what day it was, we got about a half inch, maybe. A half inch and th three feet is pretty close, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right next door to each other. Yeah, that's fine with me. We'll take, I'll take the half inch. It worked fine for you. Okay. If. Yes. Here it is, Rudyard Kipling. I've been reading all of his Jungle Book stories. Ah. If, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all the men doubt you, but make allowance for the doubt for their doubting too. I never read this, Walden. The only reason I knew this is because the old time radio show. I think I heard them do a parody on this. That's the only way. I am so impressed that you read this in school <laughs> and you remembered it. Radio. I I ain't on I ain't not on that educated, you know. I ain't got that much education. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But anyway, there is a Richard Kipling poem. How about that? All right, Ron. It's when you go back to school. Yes. When you're 85 or so, or when you decide to go back to school, and I asked this to worry, what class would you want to take? Mm, good um. Question. Uh, and, and I told my answer last night, I feel like I'm inadequate in classical music. I would like to take, like, a, a really a classical music class and learn about the background and the history and things like that. So that's sort of... Um, you, at, at 85, I don't want to be enriched. I want to have fun. So Patricia wants a fun class. Yeah, but let's see. I think, uh, let's see, I think Patricia's going to be water skiing then, huh? Oh, great. <laughs> Wonderful. I you know what swim. I would do? Uh -huh. uh, I, I would, I would, I would, uh, and I hope I actually get, I hope I actually get around to doing this sooner. But if, but I would, I would, uh, and let me give you a little background here. Okay. When I, when I was in high school, or uh -huh. high school even, uh, higher grade school and, and, and the lower high school through, um, I took a typing class. Okay. And I blew it off. I just, I just blew it off, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 I just, and didn't even. So I would, I would, I would, uh, I would take care of that little bit of business. But I do, I had better get around to it sooner than that. Yeah, it might come in handy now. It will. Yeah. So I had better get around to it sooner than that. Well, you know, I I was in the same boat with you because I took typing classes and I really was, I didn't see the sense of it in the mid seventies. Why am I typing when I can't poof poof my work? You know, when I when I you're typing a print a print typewriter. That was that was a lot of the problem I had. Yeah. I think, too. Uh, it didn't make it. Just didn't didn't. Uh, I didn't see the value of it back no, back in those days. And now I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Because it would come in very handy right now. I'm a thirty words a minute typer, and my mom is way over a hundred. So what can I say? I'd like to hear her on a keyboard. Well, yeah. one, one of her friends in one of her friends at work says it looks like my mom fingers are dancing on the keyboard. I imagine <laughs> she's got to be a remarkable lady. Well, I'll still keep her. She, you know, she's good in the banking. I think the remarkable part is that she's still keeping you. That's true. I believe that's true. Uh, that's where I was going for that, by the way. <laughs> she's making, we're, she's we're making. up on you all. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. You're all invited to dinner. You're all invited to dinner tomorrow. 
see what? You're all invited to dinner tomorrow. What are we having? What's dinner? Homemade lasagna. Ooh. And I and and I act for garlic bread. Oh, well, even gooder stuff. <laughs> <laughs> are you listening, Dave? Oh, poor Dave. Uh, oh. So, so people are gonna come to visit, like Patricia. You need to find out what Patricia's favorite meal is, and my mom can. Well, I know what Patricia's favorite meal is. Can, it's can, turkey. Can we say all of them? <laughs> uh, there you go. I'm not a particularly fussy eater, yep. you know, in the sense that I don't have an awful lot of foods that I would prefer not to eat. Um, yeah, but what would you? What, well, I, what, I'm cool. What would you love? What would you fall? What would you be in love with? Wow. Gee, it depends on the day. I know. It really is true. But, you know, I would love a hamburger. No, 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 no. I would love potato salad. Uh huh. And hard-boiled eggs. Oh, you know, potato salad is so interesting because there seem to be so many different recipes out there. Mm-hmm. I make good potato salad. I like potatoes. It resemble anything else. I love potato salad that has really good pickles in them. Pickles and, uh, and onions. I put onions in, but not pickles. Huh. Mm. I use vinegar. I like vinegar. Have you ever tried... Speaking the vinegar potato chip. Vinegar and potato chips. Yes. No, I have never done that. However, I was thinking about that tonight. Do you know why? Why? Because I had a hamburger and mashed potatoes, and I put always a teaspoon of vinegar in my mashed potatoes, which really is a nice taste. And I'm thinking it might taste something like vinegar potato chips. Wow. Very eclectic. Very eclectic. <laughs> but I do, well, and it tastes so good. I hate to rain on this party, but my my phone tells me it's got a little battery, and I'm going to lose it pretty soon. So I had better. You're gonna you you're saying the party's over, Ron? I'm afraid for me it is because my battery tells me it don't want to go no. Boop 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 boop. I guess you better plug it in. Well, you you take good care of your battery. Yes. And be yeah. safe, and we'll talk to you soon. I'll look forward to it. All right, Ron. Okay. Be good. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, should be us kids? What do you think, my dear? I think just us kids. Yeah. Because I've got a couple of poo quotes for you and your questions. Yes. I did do your So, fam- family, just, just going to be us kids because Patricia, she's working. She's a working I'm machine. I'm a working girl. I have a couple of hours to do after the show is finished, which is fine. I do have a couple of things that happened on this day in history that I would really like to talk about. Okay, now, is this January 23rd or January 24th? January 23rd, because it's still the 23rd, and that was the date our show was supposed to be there. Okay. So on the 23rd of 1932, this really tweaked me because New York Governor... Franklin Delano Roosevelt announced his candidacy for the Democratic presidential nomination. Now, we had been doing four years of hats being thrown in the ring, and here we are, January 23rd, and he's just announcing his candidacy. Times have changed, haven't they? Say that again? Times have changed a little bit. 
times have changed a little bit, yes. Yeah. And in 1962, Tony Bennett recorded I Left My Heart Oh, that is my favorite Tony Bennett song. I just... How about that? I think that, and you know, I think I heard a story. It, mm-hmm. was, it, it was an idea from a bartender. Really? Yeah, I think I think Tony was in San Francisco and never heard the song, and the bartender said, "Sing this song." And to me, there's nobody else can sing it like Tony Bennett. It's just a great, great song. song. Yeah. It is his song. Okay, birthdays: January twenty-third, seventeen ninety-three. John Hancock. And I didn't, I didn't put that in your history question oh. because it didn't belong there. I have a history. I learned something today, uh, this week on history. Huh. Huh. There were two presidents that walked out in debt. And that you know what? Out, out of the White House in debt. In debt. In debt. Oh, I think Harry Truman was one. Was not Harry. Was not. No kidding. And the reason why I haven't got a chance to look up the story is because of uh, the way they handle the food. The president is built for the food that's served in the White House. That's correct. And it still it still happens today. If President Obama orders a hamburger at 2 o'clock in the morning, it goes on his bill. And I guess Tom Hanks was really disturbed by this, so he bought the president, must have been Bush, a coffee, coffee maker. Because he realized there was no coffee maker in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Which President Bush? Uh, uh, well, she been W in 2004. Okay. Yeah. But the two presidents were Bill Clinton and James Monroe. I'll be darned. Yeah. James Monroe. Wow. James Monroe. Okay. Two more birthdays. Uh, two more birthdays. Yeah. Um... Humphrey Bogart in 1899, mm. and Ernie Kovacs in 1919. He was killed in a car crash, wasn't he, or something? Yes, he was, yeah. and he left his wife, Edie Gourmet. No, Edie Adams. Get, Edie Adams. Uh, Edie Adams, yeah. I'm sorry, of course, it's Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Edie yeah. Adams took her half a lifetime to pay off the debts, but she did. Every single cent. Wow. So, Okay. Okay, what we got here? Okay, we've got all of your questions and some poo quotes. Which would you like? Poo. I want poo. We'll get a couple of poo quotes. Let's see. Poo. Have to find poo. Again. I like the way Patricia's saying poo. She does a. She got a really good poo. Good people poo. poo. Yeah. Poo. Poo. Okay, we need the poo. I've got a whole bunch of stuff now. I got all of this from the internet. I did not get this from my Winnie the Pooh book. So. I'm trusting that people did not mess around with Winnie the Pooh because that's sacred territory. It's your, you know? po- it's your poo. Ex- you know, we need to find a poo expert and interview a poo expert one night. Wouldn't that be fun? We should. There has to be someone out there. Yes, a poo expert. Okay. I mean, a day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. Read that one more time. That's very so found. <laughs> A day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. That's very good. That's very, that's very, that's very true. That's very pooish. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and here's a conversation with Piglet. Okay. Pooh says thoughtfully, Rabbit's clever. Yes, said Piglet. 
Rabbit's clever. And he has a brain. Yes, said Piglet, Rabbit has a brain. And there was a long silence. I suppose, said Pooh, that's why he never understands anything. (laughs) (laughs) Philosophy. (laughs) It's such good philosophy. Oh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, Okay. Enjoy the little things in life, for one day you'll look back and realize that they were the big things. Amen. Yeah, cool philosophy. You know, a lot of people would consider this show the little things in life, but it's it's a really big thing for all of us. It's a big thing. Yeah. And it's a little thing that is a big thing. You know, I mean, we're, we're not going to stamp out disease and save the world from atomic explosions. But it's a big thing, you well, know? We're gonna, we bring tender, loving care to a lot of people. Yeah. The whole family does that. And that's, and that's good stuff. And that's important stuff. That's important stuff. Yeah. Or, as Jimmy Carter would say, impotent. Impotent. Impotent stuff. That always tickled me about him. He had two words that he pronounced in a way that mm-hmm. will stay with me forever. One of them was important. He kind of dropped the R from important. Uh-huh. And nuclear instead of nuclear. I'm glad he's doing yeah. well with his treatment program. I'm glad that's so far yes, so good. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He announced to his congregation, yeah. I read that the other day, that as far as the doctors are concerned, he is Queen. okay. Yeah. Amazing. Very nice. I mean, we're talking brain cancer. I know. How many people do you know have survived brain cancer? The man is a walking miracle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got your stump welding, your brain teaser, your presidential quote, your presidential question, your colonial history. Got a nice piece a of new ca- A new category this year, everybody. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you're stuck with it. And first lady stuff, either it, a quote or history. You know, mm-hmm. when we're still doing the show 25 years from now, this was it going to be... <laughs> we're going to start asking questions <laughs> at over 45. <laughs> and we'll go until 2 o'clock. <laughs> oh, gee, and then open the phone for calls. <laughs> That's true, the list keeps getting bigger. It started with a Stump Walden question. That's all I ever asked. I know. How how, how how come Stump Walton had so many babies over the years? It's pretty remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like rabbits. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. oh, gosh. Well, are there, are there a question that's waked up adorable in love with? Well, let me see. Um, yeah. Okay, go with the one that you're in love with right off the bat. I'm in love with, because I, I had to... This question just kind of came into my head. Okay. And I thought, I wonder if Walden knows anything about this. And I had to look up all of the information. I had no idea. What did the colonists use for currency during and after the American Revolutionary War? Well, I I know... I think it was at the end of the war, especially during the war, the currency was in state coach, like a big old wagon. Because Alexander Hamilton was really concerned about the value of the currency. Um, 
I want to say in the south it was tobacco. And I think in the north it was stamps. Um, I'm probably off. So no, they actually had currency. Okay. They used, uh, they used silver coins, the pieces of eight from Spain. Okay. And a couple of other European currencies. And they started printing their own. We <laughs> heard that story before. <laughs> they started printing their own during the Revolutionary War and paying their soldiers in what eventually became absolutely worthless. They, they had nothing to back it up. They, they gave them pieces of paper with no cap, with no um, value. What's the uh, nothing to back it up? Yeah, the word. it's just so amazing. No, yeah. Face. You know, it's so amazing. I was playing that radio show a few months ago where it was individual people that were loaning money to the colony to keep them, keep defeating the army. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But they were being paid in pieces of paper that really looked official. I mean, they, they were very carefully printed pieces of currency mm -hmm. in, in unusual shapes. They're more square than oblong. But they did indeed print currency. And then, and then, in, eight, in 1787, it gave Congress the exclusive power, the Constitution gave Congress the exclusive power to coin money. And in 1792, Congress passed the first Coinage Act. And so they started making their own money. It was interesting. One of the things I remember when we, um, in 1981, when we went on the Boy Scouts National Jamboree, we toured the Smithsonian Institute. We had, mm -hmm. you know, a few hours. And yeah. one of the ones I remember with the coin display. And you're looking at, like, the world from stone, coin, you know, stone to different things that uh -huh, was used. Yes, and they paid in seashells yep. in some places, yes. Cogs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway, in 1792, that's how Philadelphia became the center of the mint. The, the, the National Mint was located in Philadelphia. Now, if I remember, we got, let's see, we have certain areas of the country that serve our mints. Because, you know, if you mm -hmm. look at your coin, I right. think Philadelphia is one. I think Denver. Denver Den gets a D. I think San Francisco is another. They get an S. I, and I think, those, I think those are the only ones. I thought there might have been two more, but those are the three I can remember right off the bat. And also, mm -hmm. they, they were the putting down in Washington, D.C. I remember walking through the putting presses in, you know, in, in D.C. So I'm assuming that was another place. Um, the, the printing of the money is up in the northeast somewhere now. Mm. And I, it might be Connecticut. Might be cheaper labor. Maybe paper cheaper. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, they're yeah. they're as tight as Fort Knox because they've got the the paper, the paper. It's the only place in the world that has that particular form and mixture and formula it's of paper. It's amazing how the last thirty-five years or so, how we've really tried to make our currency um, counterfeit-proof by Yes. Introducing mm -hmm. different things like uh, oh, the little lines embedded to uh -huh. um, and threads and yes, and I think the colors and I think we tried uh, 
off-center off to center, and I think we tried mm -hmm. a lot of different things to make it work, you know. Yeah. I, I have not heard of any big counterfeiting schemes in years. So maybe it's working. Well, if it's not working, we don't know about it. What can I say? <laughs> don't mess up our happy show with it. Yeah. So anyway, that was my fun thing. All right. I thought it up, and I thought, I wonder what they spent. Very nice. And, and there it was, all of this great information. I've even got a website in case you really, really want to know a lot about right up colonial the, currency. Right up there with toilet paper tonight. Patricia really spent time. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, boy. I mean, who else can brag about having found the toilet paper encyclopedia? I'm pretty sure we're the only show in the world tonight that made that a running topic, a conversation. I, I think we're probably the only radio show in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> the last time somebody on the radio talked about toilet paper was us. Mm-hmm. We, we, we cornered the market on interesting variety of topics. So there's no <laughs> doubt about that. When we broadcast poop, we broadcast poop. <laughs> oh, dear me. Yeah. Okay, what else would you like? I'm getting serious now. All righty. I'm in the mood for my stump Walden right off the, right off the shoot. Ah, okay. Dr. IQ had a longer show title than that, and the... The extra words actually reflected the personality of the quiz, mm -hmm. quiz master. What was the full name of Dr. IQ? Dr. IQ, the mental banker. <gasps> By golly, you knew. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm doomed tonight. I'm doomed. Okay, well, okay. what else would you like? Okay. That was very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Your boy Wonder's doing okay. Um. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah. Let's see. Let's go, let's go for the brain teaser. Your brain teaser. This man shaves several times a day, and yet he still has a beard. Who is he? Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing. <laughs> All right. One, one up for you and one up for me. <laughs> Who is he? Mm -hmm. Is that the question? Mm -hmm. Is it the Barbasol man? Shorten that up a little bit. Barbasol. He's uh. a barber. Oh, very good. You, you said it and didn't even know no, it. No, I, I would have walked away. From, you, you, yeah, you, I, I was that. I was warm but not hot enough. No, you you were halfway there. You were darn close. Okay, what else would you like? My baseball question. Your baseball question. All right, way down the bottom of the list. All right. It's over there, Patricia. Way down there to the left. To the left. To the okay. right. Um, let me see. What? All right. Now we we're into baseball names. The the names of the teams. What is the origin of the name Braves for the Atlanta Braves? Just the Braves part. Well, it came from Boston. It went from Milwaukee. It started in Boston at the Boston Braves. A friend of mine won the World Series in 1948 for the Boston Braves. 
Then they moved to Milwaukee. That's when Harry, Hank, Herring, Hank Aaron won the uh, World, Seri- World Series in 1957, and they lost to the Yankees in 58. And they moved to Atlanta. So that's where it came from. Where did the name Braves come from? Well, they didn't want to name the baseball team the Boston Beans. So they chose Braves instead. Can we say I don't know because this is a really fun thing. <laughs> All right, my dear. I don't know. Okay, okay. Um, okay. The team was founded in Boston originally. Uh-huh. And it was first known as the Boston Red Stockings. But we'll skip to the really fun part. In 1912, the team was purchased by a man named James Gaffney, who was part of Tammany Hall fame. Tammany Hall in New York City, where all the bad stuff happened. Tammany Hall's symbol was a Native American, and it was named after Tamanand, a famous Native American leader. He was an Indian chief. And the nickname, the Braves, was chosen because of Tammany Hall. Oh, very nice. Isn't that fun? Very nice. Speaking of Please. speaking of Carnegie Hall, our friend Stuart Canaan is playing there tomorrow night, everybody. So, not bad for age 89, huh? Not bad, and I, I hope he has a good time. Now, this was Tammany Hall, the political machine right. that ran in New York City. And right. Carnegie Hall is wonderful, and I'm so glad that he's going to be there. We should have him back on when I get close to the anniversary well, of the Friday. So. Maybe the 80s. So. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a great guy. Yeah. What a great guy. And he has a Stradivarius. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. And he's so funny about it. Here <laughs> he's got this fabulous instrument. I mean, this is really... The Stradivarius comes in different grades. Some uh-huh. of them are okay, and others are absolute masterpieces. I don't have a clue what differentiates them, but but they are. And he's got one of the high-end Stradivarius violins, and he calls it a fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I play my fiddle every day. I practice my fiddle every day. Fiddle? You've got to be kidding me. We're talking to Stradivarius here. It's a fiddle. He's just so... Nonchalant. You know? He's <laughs> just so down-to-earth with his stuff. Fun person. And I do hope that we we have an opportunity to talk with him. He was really great. Absolutely. <clears throat> but okay, Tammany Hall, that's, that's interesting. I think we need to look at the background, the history, more about that. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Ooh, bad stuff. Bad stuff. Okay. It took, it took all the way through the end of, or the beginning or middle of John Lindsay's mayoral term to finally stamp out the remnants of Tammany Hall, mm. which was, you know, backroom, run the city type stuff. It, right. it was, I had no idea. I thought it died like in the 30s or 40s. Nope. I read up through John Lindsay. Okay, and I read that today, and and I know everything on the internet is true, so. Okay, yeah. Patricia believes okay. that. I do. Yeah, I know. In my whole little heart and soul, and I, I know. believe Pooh Bear, too. Poo-poo. Okay, what else would you like? My first lady question, quote, Your comment. First lady 
question. My first, first lady's lady question. No. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. Your first lady question. I think I'll I'll change it. That's a good that's a good title. Which president was Elizabeth Virginia Wallace married to? I think he gave this to me last week. Not this not this one. And there's another Elizabeth out there? There's another Elizabeth out there. And you knew you knew last week. Yeah. Came right up yeah, there. yeah. We have a bunch of Elizabeths out there. Elizabeth. 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 Is that the one they shorten it for Lizzie? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no. Okay. That was Lizzie Borden, the lady with the axe. Oh, who gave 20, 20 smacks or whatever. Yeah. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. Um... I, I can't remember the last. We're, we're doing very well. We we were off. I mean, she did not. She and she was found innocent. We 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 did one piece and I, if and was he bored? No, no literature. Yeah, and I looked up War and Peace. Yeah. Five hundred, five hundred and sixty-one thousand words, which would be the equivalent of somewhere between ten and fourteen novels today. So Patricia's not quite ready for the size of a project. We're not. We're not. If you give it to me a chapter at a time, I can handle that. <laughs> I can deal with that. Elizabeth I'll... Virginia Wallace. Yes. Elizabeth Virginia Wallace. Is she related to Dolly Madison? <laughs> no. Where did she get that from? I don't know, just pulling out of my hat, my dear. Um, okay. Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> you want to go through the whole list? No, sure, sure. I, I can. I, I, I can. It's best Truman. Uh, Elizabeth. Virginia Wallace. You think her? You think her mom ever re reappraised her her choice of a husband? She was not too fond of her choice, if I recall. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. A mother who was that vocal about a daughter's choice yeah. would probably find a way to remain that way for the rest of her life. Yeah. Especially, especially when he's pregnant. She, I told you, will never make it. Yeah, I can just... Right. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't amount to anything. Look at him. He's president of the United States. What did I tell you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I've got something really fun to tell you later. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. She, okay, and well, after all, I still think it's one of the great stories that, bet, Elizabeth Virginia Wallace had to break up the... Uh, Watermelon throwing contest in the in the in the White House dining room between her daughter and husband. Were they, were they squeezing them out of their fingers or spitting them? I don't know. Probably who? I I I would think it would go further if they were using their fingers, but I we might guess. I, I don't think so. I think you can spit a watermelon. Pit. 
car there. <laughs> Whatever it is, it ain't class. <laughs> they did not entertain people when they. So okay. Anyway, go ahead. What else would we? Do? Um, the presidential yeah. quote. Your presidential quote. Yeah, this one I really, really, really love. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I have opinions of my own. Strong opinions, but I don't always agree with them. <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs> it would fit though, wouldn't it? Sure would. Sure would. Well, let's go with Harry S. Truman. How about George H.W. Bush? What a guy. I know. What a you know, guy. He didn't have to eat broccoli, and look what happened. Yeah. That, that is yeah. such a cute thing. You know, I'm president, and I don't have to eat broccoli anymore. <laughs> they're getting close to 70 years of marriage, right? I think they got 67 in the books or something like that. Oh, my goodness. I think. Well, let's see. All right, hold on. I, yeah. I will look. You want to keep talking? Okay. Anyway, I, I hope everybody keeps track of the presidential race. It, it could be a fun year. Get to see what interesting remarks are going to be made. And, you know, what can I say? This is the beauty of America. We uh, we'll see what happens every four years. Don't remember, if you haven't, if you, if you haven't forgotten... This is leap year. And leap year and the presidential race always seem to coincide. So that's a one way to remember that you get an extra day. You know, I never thought of it that way. The only way I've been able to keep track of it over the years, you know. But that's... that's right, let's see. That's how I do. Well, you, you are... Let's see. Okay, 1945, they were married. Hey, they got, they've already passed their 70 years. They're working on the 71. So they're on 71 now. Wow. They're, they've been married longer than the Queen and Philip. I think the Queen and Philip got married in 47. Hmm. I'll bet the Queen and Philip got married after that. Let's see. Yeah, they got married, I thought, in 47. But you think later? I think later, but okay. you're, <laughs> you're always right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for color commentary. <laughs> November 20th, 1947. Oh, I wonder how I got that one figured out. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, gee. And when was she queen? 52? 53? 53? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to look. Let's see. Well, she get 75 years and as queen. You know? When, did, when, when will that happen? Let's see here. I don't know. Uh, 2028. Mm. By then, Prince okay. Charles will be drawing Social Security. But, you know. I think he's there already. What did we? Oh no. What did we say? Sixty. Sixty something. I think it was not very long ago. Yeah. Sixty-seven. I think we thought he was. He was something like that. Yeah. He. And he just hasn't changed, and he's he's or has not changed. He's he's just looked the same for a lot of years, and it wasn't good. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, he looks his age now, yeah. but he has looked this age for quite a few years. Oh, well. Well, you know, he truly carries an awful lot of baggage. You know, I mean, I, 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 I really, my heart hurts for him sometimes. Okay. Well, let's face it. If the queen decided to take a long vacation, it, those, those are pretty big slippers to fill in, you know, after she's been the grand, the grand poobah for all these years. I know, and he's been prepared for this for an entire lifetime. Yep. And his life is almost over. Yeah. I, mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean, he's, he's, he's approaching 70. Yep. And to take the throne in your 70s, would be an extraordinary change, and he's been prepped for it for his entire life. That's why, to me, it's remarkable that the Pope, you know, the previous Pope retired, and you know, you know, the relinquish um, those responsibility, and still, mm-hmm. and still living. It, 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 you know, people speculate about the Queen doing that. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it'd be sort of the same concept, I, I guess. Yeah, it, it surprised me as well, because usually they dig in and, you know, they stay to the bitter end. Yeah. Okay, 1953, June 2nd, 1953 was the coronation. Ah, so, okay. you know, 53, and now we're into 2015. Mm-hmm. And from the day this, this poor guy was born, he was told he's going to be king. King. And I think he went through school as a, as the next monarch. He went through marriage. He went through life. He went through children. He went, and you know, he's just sitting there saying, and what do you do for a living? I'm the next king. <laughs> Wouldn't that I be... Think about it. Yeah. Can you imagine if he, if he got bored and was looking for, for something to do part-time? Putting that on your resume? Uh, I'm the next king. Yeah. 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 Maybe you could... Uh, you could... I, I really do have heart hurts for him at different times. Mm-hmm. He's really been through a lot. Could you write his resume? Could you write his resume mm-hmm. for him? What, how would you do structure his resume? How would I structure his resume? <laughs> Boy, I have to look at the content. You know, you just give me the raw material. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make you look good. I mean, really. My, my, my coup de grace, the, the really big one was an insurance salesman and um, um, a dealer at a casino. <laughs> and he got the job. And he was, he was good. Yeah. I mean, it, it was not like I was manufacturing no. anything. He was just he was just good. He did very well, but this was a whole new life. This was not a new career. This was a whole new life he wanted. Yeah. And we just packaged him in a way that highlighted what he could bring to the casino. And it worked fine. He got the job. I never found out if he stayed. So... Just, you know, that, when, so, when I did things like that, that was the end of a relationship. Yep. Which is kind of disappointing. Maybe you want to go... Maybe you should Google his name up if you could recall his name and he was... No. You know? I have to go through my stuff. Your stuff. My stuff. Yes, okay, so now we've got a presidential question, and it looks like that's it, your presidential question. All right. All right. 
Um, Just remind everybody, Patricia be getting warmed up here in a week. Uh, let see. A, yeah, it's a week. What is today? No, two weeks from tomorrow. So invite Patricia to your to your big event. She'll be happy to come and speak. That's two weeks from tomorrow. What? What, what did I miss here? Well, it's the big annual event that you always get prepared for. What? You know. Mother's Day? <laughs> oh, no. No, two weeks. It's in February. What do I get prepared for in February? Valentine's Day? Every every year we've, we've always been prepared for it. And I think we should market this and you should be invited to Super Bowl party to do your Super Bowl trivia. Oh, heavens to Betsy. No wonder it was blocked out of my mind. <laughs> What's the date? February the 7th. Mm. Okay, and I'm almost prepared. I'll tell you how much pizza is sold. Good. And how much beer is consumed. I'm pretty sure Patricia got some work on projects. She's not going to be watching the two games tomorrow to find out who's playing in the Super Bowl from two weeks. No, it depends on you for that. Yeah. I know that that's, that's what you do well. And I'll stick with what I do well. <laughs> and it does not include watching a Super Bowl or even a prelude. So this is the magical playoff. Who 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 is playing? New England? Mm-hmm. They're probably happy that they're out of the snow country. They're playing Denver and Denver tomorrow. And then Carolina uh, Arizona's playing Carolina in Charlotte. So they have to go into snow countries tomorrow. So who's Who's going to take it? I think this Arizona Cardinals is going to be the overall winner. And they're going to play against whom? Probably New England. Okay. Yes. And where will they be playing? In San Francisco. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. By the way. Hmm? By the way, you know, last week, last weekend, we uh, we were. Disclosing to Patricia about the the LA Rams now have a football team. The LA Rams are back in LA. They have revalued the team here. The NFL team was was considered to, to, near the bottom of value, and they've sent a declared a move. They have recalculated that it's the third most valuable property in the NFL, and they've already gotten deposit Patricia in three days. How many? Mm-hmm. Deposit for tickets. How many deposits do you think they gotten for tickets? I didn't know they took deposits. They took deposits. I mean, that's, that's like you put down a deposit on a house. Right. Well, it's about what's going to cost. It's a house, isn't it? Yeah. This is bigger than Trump Towers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I give up. What, what, what? And then you and, have to put it in context for me. In three days, they've received deposit for 45,000 seats. And, and, and they're estimating that? they're estimating the value of a ticket is three hundred and fifty bucks a ticket. Oh. And and you, you should, and most likely it's gonna come with a seat license fee. So in order to buy the ticket you're supposed to put you're supposed to give them some money up front. Well, yeah, that's and, and I was going to ask about that when a deposit I, means you have to put some money up front, not the whole thing. No, it's, and, and it, what are they it, buying these tickets for? It's, 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 it's besides that. It's, this, this money that they're going to give you up front, it's nothing to go to the ticket. It's just a uh, a fee for your seat. It's an annual cost. Oh, 
and I've heard estimates right now, and they haven't announced it publicly, it's $5,000. Is this, what's, are we talking Super Bowl seats? No, 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 this is the new football stadium. Is the regular stuff? Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> $5,000. Yeah. For to, the privilege to, of buying tickets. Yes. That's ex that's essentially what we're talking about. Yes. I will pay you five thousand dollars for the privilege of buying, buying tickets. Ticket. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying that the uh, uh, the seat licensing fees are going to go for. That's what I've heard, and I, mm -hmm. I'm waiting. If that's a pretty good racket, huh? I hope they come with seat warmers. <laughs> wow, that's insane. I mean, that really is insane. Yeah, but. No, yeah, but. If you and I had a stadium, that would be nice cash we could give away. Hey, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> if we owned the stadium, <laughs> the, the rules would be a little different. That's true. The opinion would be too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. $5,000 for the privilege of buying your goods. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Thank goodness it has not transferred to other parts of our economy. That's true. And our GNP. <laughs> okay, here, here is your presidential question. I've got a couple, but I'll give you the one that's at the bottom of the list. Okay. I liked it. Okay. Which president spent close to four decades in the military before he became president? Dwight D. Eisenhower? Well, that's interesting. I never thought about him. Zachary Taylor. Oh, okay. Did, um, the War of 1812, the Black yep. Hawk War yep. in 1832, the Second Seminole War in 1835 through eight through 1842, and he served in the Mexican War. Mm -hmm. 1846. Yeah, and he was elected in 1848. And he died in office for uh, two years or something like that. Mm. I'll tell you. It's a, it's a presidential history, and I never would have even known a drop of this stuff, except that we started doing this on Saturday nights. So, I mean, it's a marvelous history lesson for me to it, go looking for information. It, it, it gives so, you a better, it helps, it sort of helps put the, put the dots together somewhat, you know? Yes, 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 yeah. it does. And it has given me an extraordinary appreciation, far more than I had before. And I thought I was pretty much on the top of the heap in terms of appreciation of people who have done so much for this country. And I'm reading some of this stuff, and I think, my God, how could people have had the courage to do this? How could they have had the fortitude to do this? How could this have happened? I mean, I look, John Hancock's birthday is today. Go back and look for at, for information about John Hancock. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's it, my it, way of saying thank you for making me do my homework. Uh, one of the great things, you know, he willing to sacrifice his major fortune on the Battle of Boston. He said, let it burn, you know, but pretty much, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. They just sacrificed everything. 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 And many of them sacrificed their lives. Yeah. 
It's just everything went down the toilet. It's one of my great enjoyment of the Paul Harvey record to talk about the 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 people who what they gave up for us. Mm-hmm. Amen. It really is remarkable. So, all right. Well, that's my list. What do you want to say before I leave? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, 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 I, well, I, I will talk to Patricia. In a little while, after she rested up, because, you know, she's mm-hmm. going to be working tonight. And Patricia and I will be back next Saturday, the yes, last sa- the last Saturday of the month. And so there. And so there, we promise. I don't know if it's a threat or a promise, but we will be here. Woohoo! And we'll have some final information about how all of us are going to stay together as a family. That's right. With the new systems that are going into effect. That's right. Patricia's going to be learning tech support the next week or so on her off-free time. She is? What? Aren't you going to, I thought you were going to say, say what? No, I'm, no, 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 no. She is, she is the messenger. Please do not hurt the messenger. Um, she, will, she will tell you what she has learned. Yes. But the Bottom line, isn't that a wonderful expression? I love it. The bottom line. The bottom line is, we will be here. We just have to help you find us. That's right. We're not going anywhere. No. Just the 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 driving directions to get from point A to point B are a little bit different. Uh huh. So we have to give you a new GPS system to find us. What is that? And once it's settled down, it'll all be good because the sound quality's better. It'll be worth it, right? Yes. Promise? I promise. If I'm not, a wreck. You if, know that. I'm if, a wreck over this. If not, Patricia's going to whine, cry, sniff her way through <laughs> changes. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I truly, <laughs> I say this all the time, and I mean every word of it. I do not do change well. I think you're doing very. I, I think you're doing very well with it. Thank you. I really do. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Thank you. You really do. I put up a good front. You do very well with it. I I put up a good front. It's a good stick for you. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> That's the word. So. This is the end of our show for tonight. Yep. Good night, everybody. Thank you for spending time with us. And please, our family caught in the middle of this mess of a winter storm, be safe, stay warm, and we'll be here next week. You bet. Well, Good night, Patricia. Good night, everybody. But the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought me some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. And the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you'd love me so 
Let it snow, let it snow and snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really grab me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbying. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Jaws Professional, Patricia from FL Home, Bill Bragg, Alt Page Down, Menu Bar, Skype. Alt F4, Leaving Menu Bar. Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Left, Alt F4, Menu Bar, Sys, Alt Tab, Leaving Menu Bar. Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Left, Alt F4, Menu Bar, Alt Tab, Leaving Menu Bar. Alt Tab, Skype Trademark, Alt Tab, Patricia from FL, Alt Tab. All tab, Patricia, all tab, Skype tray, all tab, Bill Brad, all tab, Patricia, all tab, C colon backslash users back, all def four. All tab, Patricia from all def four, menu bar, sis, all tab, leaving menu bar. All tab, Skype trademark, all tab, Bill Brad, all def four. All tab, Skype trade, all def four, menu bar, all tab, leaving menu bar. All tab, Skype trade, all tab, Patricia, all tab, Sound Forge Pro 11.